platform and greetings to all the colleagues who have demonstrated interest for oral submissions to the portfolio committee on the electoral amendment bill to this effect honorable members and colleagues the constitutional court has given us 24 months to amend the relevant legislation to ensure that every eligible south african is allowed to contest national and provincial elections even if they are not members of the political party it's against this background that the portfolio committee through the minister of home affairs minister mtualedi engaged in a process to respond to the constitutional court judgment that was tabled on the level of july 2020 members will recall that uh, and colleagues that the ministers established the ministerial task team which was led by minister, former minister Valmusa, that comprised of multidisciplinary team with ex extensive experience and interest in electoral matters, promotion of democracy and good governance, that gave effect to the consultation of all stakeholders and members of the public. This forum today continue to engage with all members of society, stakeholders, interested parties, NGOs, with the intention and objective to consolidate and contribute to which the Constitutional Court has mandated Parliament to consider. So we've invited you members of the public who represent different platforms to come and share the notes in order to enhance what Parliament is now interacting with. In January 10, 2022, the Minister tabled the Electoral Amendment Bill to Parliament, which was referred to the Portfolio Committee of Home Affairs. And the Portfolio Committee has interacted with the process of engagement to that effect. This process will give effect to consolidate the process that the committee is going to start again next week on the 7th of July, while embarking on a nationwide public hearing, will cover all South Africans' nine provinces and three districts in each province. And we want to encourage all our people who want to make input to, make, to come and make their oral during the public hearing. Colleagues and honorable members, it's going to be a long day in terms of our program. Effectively, we'll start normally at nine o'clock, but we're going to give opportunity to all the stakeholders that have been able to show, demonstrate interest to come and interact with the portfolio committee. Mr. Matons, I'm going to allow you to just table the agenda and we're able to identify, just to confirm those that are in attendance we must note that uh, there's uh, also a sitting uh, in the afternoon and members have to interact with that, uh, attend the sitting. We request that presenters must be at least able to um, comply with the, with the time allocated. We're not going to suppress them, but at least able to have enough opportunity to present and members will uh, interact uh, with the with the report, this process is going to be concluded 
Once all the public hearings have been uh, concluded, we have received submissions. And this is part of the oral submission that members have requested the parliament to open up for them to come and present. Once all the public hearings and these oral submissions, the submission that have been made, the committee has interacted and deliberated on that, is at that point that will be submitted to parliament for parliament to consider the options or the views that should have been gathered from our people. Mr. Matonsi, I want to request you to highlight the agenda of today and confirm um, uh, attendance of presenters and also highlight or present apologies if the apologies that you need to be noted. Mr. Matonsi? I chair. Um... The first uh, uh, presenter will be the One South Africa Movement. I'm sure I've seen them on the platform. And then, uh, then the second one is uh, Mr. Valmosa. I've even seen him on the platform. And then uh, the fourth one is Africa School of Governance. Uh, I've not seen them. If they if they are in the platform, can they please confirm? Can you help? Is it your agenda on the screen? Yeah, Adam just highlighted it. Adam? Hello? Yes, <clears throat> yes, it's presented. Yeah, yeah. Can, can other people see it? Uh, yes, yes. Okay. yes, we can. Okay. Oh, okay. And then uh, Afra School of Governance, I'm not sure if there's anybody, if there's anybody from Afra School of Governance, can they please indicate? Okay, they are not there yet. Then the the other one is Mr. Zolan Zonyane. Is he on the platform? Probably they are going to join later. Yes, uh, I am. Oh, you are. Okay, no, thanks. And then um, Citizens Parliament, I think I've seen Mr. Matomela is on the yes, platform. Sir. Yes. Sir. Uh, Outer, is there anybody from Outer? Yes, confirmed. Yes, uh, they are here. Uh, anybody from Cosato? I haven't seen any, any, but I'm sure they might be joining. So I'm sure those that are not in chairperson, uh, they will be joining in, uh, in the process. Okay. Then from my side, the apologies uh, is that of Miss Kanyela. She's uh, off sick. And then uh, Miss Modise as well. And then uh, Miss uh, Van der Meve, she said she joined the meeting, but she's somewhere where there's no good network, but she's, she might be joining in and out. Thanks, Chair. That's all from my side. Okay. Can you, Mr. Maton, just uh, give indication of the, the allocation of minutes um, for our presenters um, so that we're able to run smoothly? I've Notice that the IEC uh, colleagues have joined us for purpose of uh, observing the presentation. Uh, uh, thanks very much, IEC collective commissioners and the executive. Mr. Matunzi? Yes, Chairperson, we, we have allocated uh, uh, 15 minutes to uh, each organization or an individual to make their presentation. And then from there, uh, after two presentations, then uh, we have allocated 10 minutes just for members to ask questions of clarity from the presentations, Chair. 
Okay. Okay. Thank sure. you very much, uh, colleagues. Can we start with the first uh, 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 presentations? I must confirm that your presentation has been circulated to members of the committee. Uh, will uh, yeah, have been circulated to members of the committee. We're inviting you to uh, interact uh, on your contributions. Thank you very much. Right. Uh, good morning, Chair. Oh, my apologies. May I begin? Okay, yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Good morning, Chairperson and members of the committee. My name is Muzuli Rakevane, and I am the national spokeswoman of One South Africa Movement. Um, I will be doing the presentation today, um, and if it's okay with the committee, I'd prefer not to present with slides, but the um, presentation has been sent to committee members, which they can refer to if necessary. So One South Africa is essentially a collaborative social movement, which is founded on the values of advocacy, activism, and accountability. And our central goal is to actively work towards the South Africa, which is no longer at the mercy of a broken system of party politics. So in aid of this goal, OSA is committed to engendering meaningful and substantive change, specifically in the sphere of electoral reform. The movement believes strongly in the ability of independent candidates um, to act as agents of significant change in all levels of government by functioning to essentially counteract the current status quo of politics and governance in South Africa. Independent candidates by their very nature are elevated into positions of power and influence, not by internal political party wrangling, but solely by the will of the people in many ways, independent candidates are arguably the physical manifestation of some of the most important values of democracy as a philosophical ideal. Realizing and facilitating electoral reform that is accountable is core to the business of and the function of One South Africa, and this is why we are in front of you today. Chairperson, I'd like to begin by reminding members of this committee and the people of South Africa as to why we are here today. We are here to consider what is arguably the single most important piece of legislation before Parliament since the dawn of our democracy. Is it a, it's a task that ought to be undertaken sincerely, soberly, and seriously. South Africans sitting at home and at work today know that the political system in its current form is simply untenable. Instead of Parliament being filled with 400 representatives of communities, it is filled with 400 politicians who are loyal to and protected by the political parties that deploy them. So what this does, it creates an iron curtain that stands between the people and their representatives in parliament. In fact, some of this party political self-interest has unfortunately even reared its ugly head in this particular legislative process and has presented us with a few issues that we need to address. The first is with regards to the discarding of the Honorable Lakota's Private Members Bill, which I'll refer to here as the People's Bill. It's unfortunate that already, before the South African public have been given a voice and a choice in the matter, Parliament has already taken steps that are at odds with democracy and essentially exposed the deep conflict of interest that remains a threat to the implementation of this extensive reform. Our suggestion is that we need to bring back the People's Bill into the discussion. 
it's unfair to remove the option from the public participation process and to do so for what can only be described as bogus reasons. As will be just demonstrated later in my submission, many of the constitutional issues in the amendment bill are actually addressed by the People's Bill. And it appears that the executive have actually wasted a significant amount of time by drafting a new bill when there was a perfectly workable bill in front of the committee for over a year. Now, the reasons given for undesirability of the People's Bill are unmeritorious and not convincing. The committee firstly presumed that there would be a need for extensive new demarcation to facilitate a constituency-based system. Now, the People's Bill specifically proposed exist using existing demarcations in order to save time and to save money. We need to know whether or not the committee actually consulted the demarcation board about the implementation, implementations with regards to cost and time um, with regards to a constituency model before deciding that this was too great a task to take on. The committee took exception to the use of technology, but this quite frankly is just not material um, to the specific bill that renders the entire thing undesirable. In the first instance, technology is not avoidable. It is inevitable and our electoral system must embrace progress and not avoid it. This is a lesson we should have learned from elections in the time of COVID. Now, the issue raised by the committee could have been actually rectified by excision of the clauses that they took exception to. However, they chose to take a chainsaw to a medical procedure rather than making incisions, they have chosen to cut down the entire bill. Now, the second issue pertains to time. Much of the committee's apprehension against adopting substantive changes to the Electoral Act concerns time. But the committee also needs to account for the time that it wasted by deciding not to work on the Bill from the onset. It's really disheartening that after 18 months of moving at a snail's pace, the committee has already resolved to approach the Constitutional Court for an extension to the court order deadline of 11 June 2022, with not much to show for the time that has already passed. It's our sincere hope that this application for extension is not merely a delaying tactic to buy enough time that will actually prevent substantive electoral reform from being implemented by the 2024 elections. I must also say here that it really is disingenuous to frame the discussion around electoral reform as one that only started 24 months ago. Firstly, the current system that we have was always supposed to be transitional was never prescribed for long-term use. The second is that there have been a number of commissions over the last 20 odd years calling for electoral reform and proposing alternative constituency-based systems. In 2002, President Tabumbeki established a task team led by the late Freddie Fancel Slabbert. They released the majority to report in 2003 with proposed combined constituency and proportional representation models. We then move over into 2006. The National Assembly had an independent commission assess the electoral system. The committee found that the system needed urgent reform. However, no further action was taken. We fast forward to 2017, the Motlante High Level Panel recommended an electoral act to provide for a system that makes MPs accountable to again defined constituencies. No further action was taken on that report. 
So that is at least three documented occasions over the last 20 years where there were recommendations for electoral reform, but there's no electoral reform that anyone can show for it. Time, quite frankly, cannot be an excuse over here. There's been numerous opportunities to do this, and Parliament has unfortunately failed to do it. This just happens to be the first time that the judiciary is actually holding Parliament accountable to do something. As one South Africa, we cannot support an extension for extension's sake. We must know what exactly is the purpose of an extension. If you're applying for an extension for the purposes of public participation, then why can't we use that same opportunity and that time to facilitate proper deliberation and debate by presenting the public with all the relevant proposals for meaningful and impactful electoral reform? More so, the committee has voted the Lakotable undesirable because the measures, especially those which would introduce a constituency-based system, would take too long to implement. That assertion on its own is just not good enough. The committee has made presumptions, and I'm glad that the IEC is here this morning, um, about the capacity of the IEC, which is not in the committee's purview. We need to hear from the IEC about their capacity and whether or not they'll be able to um, legislate and facilitate certain um, reforms in time for the 2024 election. It's contradictory to say, on the one hand, that there's enough time to ask for an extension for the purposes of public participation, yet there's no time to implement certain reforms which could overhaul the system. Lastly, we're disheartened by the procedure that has been followed by the committee. Now, we all know that the MAC report instituted by the Minister of Home Affairs voted for an option that brings the element of the single, single member constituencies into national and provincial elections. This option won by four votes to three. However, the bill that is being pushed forward is on the basis of a losing option. Now, again, I need to remind the committee that the majority of the MAC report follows on from three reports commissioned previously by the parliament, which again point to substantive electoral reform and actually largely recommend constituency-based systems. What is the point of commissioning expert reports if you're never going to use them? I dare say that what is the point of me being here today and you facilitating a lengthy and costly exercise of participation, of public participation, when the same song has been sung about electoral reform for two decades, has actually just fallen on deaf ears. The manner in which this committee has handled this bill is ironically the very reason why we need electoral reform. We need independent candidates and constituency MPs who can ignore the interests of the party and who can be loyal to the con their constitutional duties and who can serve the people without timidity and party tribalism. Our system is inherently suffering from low levels of accountability, from slow, level, low, slow levels of policymaking, and from low quality representation. And the people of South Africa know that, and they know that electoral reform is more than right already, actually. So aside from the holistic transformation member, um, measures that the bill just fails to address, namely a constituency-based system, there are four constitutional issues that need to be addressed before this bill goes any further. The first issue pertains to the discarded vote. Now, an independent candidate will be allocated a regional seat if they receive enough votes to meet the first 
or the second quota of votes per seat in the region in which they are standing for office in the first or the second rounds. So should the independent candidate receive surplus votes, then those votes will be discarded. Political parties, however, receive seats in proportion to their share of the vote. In other words, most votes for political party will substantively contribute to the final composition of the National Assembly. Now, the discarding of surplus votes has a deleterious effect on the right of citizens to vote and on the proportionality between the vote share and seats. The right to vote in Section 19.3a of the Constitution must be interpreted as a right to a vote that counts equally or is of equal value to the vote of others. Now, this is an already established principle where the Constitutional Court in August verse Electoral Court said the following. The vote of each and every citizen is a badge of dignity and of personhood. Quite literally, it says that everybody's vote counts. In a country of great disparities of wealth and power, it declares that whoever you are, whether you're rich or poor, exalted or disgraced, we all belong to the same democratic South African nation, that our destinies are intertwined in a single interactive polity. Now, equality of effect is closely linked to proportional representation. Full equality of effect can only be achieved through a pure proportional representation system. However, the Constitutional Court in New Nation was very clear that this is not the only system that is constitutionally compliant. So what is required of our electoral system is that it results in general in proportional representation. And the discarding of surplus votes diminishes the proportionality of our electoral system. It isn't clear at this juncture whether or not that leads in and of itself to an unconstitutional level of disparity between vote share and seats. This has actually never been adjudicated in our courts, and so it appears that the amendment bill is actually doing guesswork on this score. Wasted votes may be an unavoidable consequence of the accommodation of independent candidates into our electoral system. However, the possibility of surplus vote transfer as proposed by the People's Bill gives better effect to the principle that each citizen has an equally effective voice and achieves a higher degree of proportionality between vote share and seats. Now, the People's Bill would essentially allow independent candidates to declare prior to election day another independent candidate who can receive their surplus votes. This effectively means that every vote is counted and that there are no wasted votes. It really would be a travesty and a regression in our hard-fought democracy to discard votes of citizens in a country that is built on the value of a bully. The second constitutional issue pertains to the independent candidates' limited access to 200 seats in Parliament. Now, precluding independent candidates from contesting 200 seats in the National Assembly and essentially reserving those seats exclusively for political parties limits the rights of independent candidates to contest elections in terms of Section 19.3b of the Constitution. And that in turn actually limits the rights of citizens' rights to vote. The net effect of the amendment bill is this. An independent candidate will not be able to win a seat in the National Assembly 
despite them having significant support from the electorate, albeit spread across the nation instead, instead of concentrated in one region, and despite receiving sufficient votes to meet the quota of votes per national to national seat. The political parties and their supporters actually don't suffer from the same disadvantage. A political party that does not obtain sufficient votes to win any regional seats will still be able to obtain a compensatory seat in the National Assembly, but an independent candidate literally with the same amount of votes would not gain a compensatory seat in the National Assembly. This is plainly not an equal opportunity to contest the elections. Conversely, the People's Bill allows independent candidates to contest all 400 seats of the National Assembly. The third constitutional issue is the qualifications for independent candidates to contest elections. Now, there's impositions that um, independent candidates must pay a deposit in addition to obtaining a minimum amount of signatures. While we appreciate the purpose of imposing a deposit requirement on independent candidates is such that a requirement will ensure that candidates have a serious intention of contesting elections and it will ultimately limit the amount of frivolous candidates on the ballot. Um, there are less restrictive means of achieving this purpose. The signature requirement imposed on independent candidates in the bill and not on political parties already sufficiently serves the purpose of minimizing frivolous candidates. Given the history of dispossession and exclusion in South Africa, the deposit requirement will likely have a disproportionate effect on previously disadvantaged racial groups and on women. The imposition of monetary deposits indirectly discriminates against less affluent political candidates this is discrimination on the basis of social origin, which is a listed ground in Section 93 of the Constitution and is accordingly presumed already to be unfair. Moreover, the exclusion of potential candidates solely on the basis of the fact that they are unable to pay a monetary deposit has a deleterious impact on inherent dignity. Now, the last constitutional issue is vacancies. In the Amendment Bill, in the event of a vacancy, in the legislature um, of a seat um, allocated to an independent candidate. The Electoral Amendment Bill provides that the seat will not be filled until the next election, leaving the seat of an independent candidate unfulfilled in the event of a vacancy actually deprives the voters who elected that particular candidate of representation in the legislature. In Bilal versus the Speaker um, of, of the National Assembly, the Western Cape High Court emphasized, my apologies, that the importance of representation of citizens in the National Assembly. It is therefore critical that the amendment bill finds ways to ensure that vacancies are filled. The People's Bill presents multiple ways to resolve this, which largely actually emulates existing practices already followed at local government level. For example, the death of an independent candidate would simply trigger a by-election. We urge Parliament to seriously um, correct those constitutional defects in order to avoid a court challenge and further present delays in a really slow-moving process. To not do that would actually jeopardize the national election in 2024, which is detrimental to a functional 
and stable democracy. The public has not had an opportunity to engage properly with the People's Bill, which is a perfectly viable alternative to the Executive Bill. And it also directly resolves the constitutional issues that are contained in the Executive Bill. We suggest that it makes procedural sense to have the public participation process on both of those bills at the same time so that one bill will emerge from this process. That is our submission for this morning. Uh, we will remain on the call to answer any questions regarding the People's Bill, regarding the constitutional issues on the Executive Bill, and any further questions that the Portfolio Committee may have. Thank you. Thank you very much. I was also allocating you extra five minutes. Uh, are you done? I am done. Thank you for the indulgence. Thank you, thank you very much for the uh, submission uh, and your contribution to the issues uh, you have raised. Uh, members of the committee have uh, will touch base as we interact uh, with the process, uh, the issues raised, uh, which some direct to the process of the committee that has taken and also your attitude towards uh, the Concord judgment in terms of how Parliament should uh, respond to uh, that effect. Thank you very much. Um, we'll then go to the second uh, uh, presenter, and thereafter we'll check the interaction if there's any. Um, and I think we'll take counsel that uh, these public uh, oral submissions to uh, raise some of the issues uh, to the uh, to the committee. I must say that the IEC uh, just on that matter, so that the, the, the an impression is not created that they will uh, respond at this stage when issues are raised. Otherwise, uh, the IEC ought to go with the pub with the committee to all the uh, hearings uh, to respond uh, to the issues directed to the IEC. They will be at particular time uh, when the consultation in the parliament is considered that IC will be invited for its process in terms of the scheduling of how we interact with the with the IC. Can I invite a second uh, presenter, uh, Mr. Matonzi? Chairperson, um, I'm not sure if Mr. Valimosa is on the platform using another a gadget, but at the moment it's not here. And then uh, we, if it's not here, we can go to the Afra School of Governance. Yes, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, let's go to the uh, third uh, presenter. Uh, I'm sure you're aware that uh, the public and all of us that uh, were dealing with the product uh, that was assigned to the task team of Minister, uh, former Minister Vale uh, uh, Musa. Uh, uh, let's uh, jump that and go to the third item, uh, Mr. Matonzi, and invite the uh, School of Governance. Thank you. Um, thank you very much, um, Honorable. Um, Mr. Chabani, um, Minister of Home Affairs, the Honorable Dr. Matsuledi, the Chairperson of the Portfolio Committee, the Honorable Mr. Chabani, distinguished members of the Portfolio Committee of Home Affairs, ladies and gentlemen. 
On behalf of the Africa School of Governance, I thank you for this opportunity to address you this morning on a matter that we all agree is of strategic national importance. Ladies and gentlemen of the Portfolio Committee, before we even begin to address the substance of the bill before you, which no doubt other organizations will deal with in great detail, we must give consideration to issues of procedure that got us to where we find ourselves this morning. My presentation will center mainly around the question of governance, the norms, the values, the rules through which public affairs are managed in a manner that is transparent, participatory, inclusive, and fair. Firstly, a little bit about the Africa School of Governance and why we sought audience with this committee. Our primary purpose and mission is to train and raise up ethical and competent public leaders to improve the integrity and status of public servants and public office by training leaders who will serve the nations of Africa in an ethical and competent manner and to promote good corporate governance by empowering those who are charged with governance duties to effectively and legally discharge those duties. We are a registered nonprofit company and since 2020, we have trained 350 people through our short courses, 500 people through our online conferences. Of these, 250 have been sitting public servants or aspiring public servants, including local councillors. They range from 12 different nations. We believe ourselves to be independent of political uh, affiliation and nonpartisan. Ladies and gentlemen of the Portfolio Committee, in declaring the Electoral Act unconstitutional, the Constitutional Court unwittingly declared that democratic governance means that the people should have a say in decisions that affect their lives and that they should be able to hold decision makers accountable. The truth, ladies and gentlemen, is that the ability of citizens to demand accountability and more open government processes is fundamental, not only to good corporate governance, but to the proper observance of a democracy. In our submission, and one that is made with respect, it is it, the bill in its present form, we don't believe complies with the ruling of the Constitutional Court. In that, firstly, it seems to have truncated processes and procedures in bringing it before the people, and in so doing does not uphold proper democratic governance. Seemingly, it does not seem to be inclusive in its approach, of independent candidates in that the barriers that independent candidates are required to for entry seem to be quite extraordinary. We believe that it has not followed a proper process of transparency, openness and accountability. Our primary focus is on the idea of meaningful public participation, which is guaranteed by the constitution. South Africa, as you know, is a constitutional democracy country. That means, ladies and gentlemen, that we uphold both a representative democracy and a participatory democracy. Representative democracy requires that our MPs speak on our behalf by representing our views as the electorate. Whilst in a participatory democracy, the public should be actively involved in decision-making. The intention of public participation is primarily to influence decision-making so as to reflect the will of the people. We believe that public participatory, sorry, we believe that participatory democracy is sorely missing from the processes before us. In presenting the bill to the National Assembly, the time frame followed by this committee can briefly be summarized as follows. On the 11th of June, 2020, 
the judgment of the Constitutional Court was given, giving Parliament 24 months to modify the electoral laws. On the 19th of February 2021, eight months later, the Minister appointed a Ministerial Advisory Committee. On the 9th of June 2021, four months later, a report was provided by the Ministerial Advisory Committee to the Minister. On the 24th of November 2021, five months later, Cabinet approves the Electoral Amendment Bill for submission to Parliament. We then have an anomaly. Council's opinion is dated the 25th of November 2021, something which I will deal with shortly. On the 29th of November 2021, a letter is written by the Minister submitting the Bill to Parliament for approval, giving Parliament six weeks to consider the Bill. On the 10th of January 2022, Parliament approves the bill and calls for submissions by the public, giving us six weeks for written submission. We then have these hearings today and tomorrow, two virtual meetings over two mornings with 14 presentations. Members of the committee, the cabinet meeting approving the bill on the 24th of November, 2021. I'd like to deal with two elements of that meeting. There is a win element, when were decisions taken, and a what element, what decisions were taken. I believe these to be pertinent to the question of proper governance and of a participatory democracy. In respect to the when element, the opinion of Badlander Essie and others to which opinion the draft bill for consideration was attached is dated 25 November 2021. The cabinet statement tells us cabinet approved the electoral amendment bill for submission to parliament on the 24th of November 2021. If the draft bill was only submitted to the minister on the 25th of November, a day after the cabinet meeting, how did cabinet make the decision? This leads us to make one of two possible assumptions. Firstly, that the date of council's opinion was an error, in which case, why have we simply not been informed of this? If this is the case, what is the effective date of the opinion accompanying the draft bill? This will help us to ascertain two things. How long did it take to draft the bill and how long did Cabinet have to give due consideration to the bill? If the date of Council's opinion is correct, can we then assume that amendments were made to the opinion that Council may have drafted prior to the Cabinet meeting for submission to Parliament? If this is the case, what were those proposed amendments and should we have been made aware of them? The what element, ladies and gentlemen, is probably a little bit more pertinent. Cabinet Statement 3.3 is clear in that it states that Cabinet approved the submission of the MAC report that set out options to Parliament for approval. However, the accompanying opinion of Council as well as the draft electoral bill is drafted according to the minimalist uh, approach. This is clearly set out in Council's opinion at Clause 5, where he says that the Minister instructed us to draft an electoral bill to give effect to the minimalist option set out in the MAC report, and we have done so. This is very important because it goes to the very heart of the bill itself, in that even though this committee's summary of 8th February 2022 states that Cabinet approved the minimalist approach, from the Cabinet statement, it is clear that Cabinet did not do so. Cabinet considered both options and presented the MAC report to Parliament for approval. Parliament seemingly did not approve the minimalist option. Parliament approved ABLE already drafted according to the minimalist option without giving due consideration to what ABLE would have looked like according to the majority option. The question, ladies and gentlemen, really is this, who then approved the minimalist approach and when was it approved?
as the preferred option. We simply don't know the answer to this question. A further point needs to be made, which again goes to the issue of governance and participatory democracy. Assuming that we accept for one moment that the executive, as an example, approved the minority option as the preferred option. Council was then asked by the minister to draft the electoral bill and to give effect to that option. Why is it then that the electoral bill in its present form does not conform in its entirety to the minority option? Given the time constraints, I've simply not had the opportunity to give full consideration to the minority option, but I wish to point out just one anomaly. Clause 5.1.7 of the minority option deals with the issue of vacancies. It states that in the case of vacancies with regards to independent candidates, vacancies would be refilled by recalculating the result of the election, disregarding the votes of the independent candidate. The majority option at clause 5.2.7 states that vacancies would be filled through by-elections in the respective constituency for that seat. However, the bill at clause 34.1 reads, in the event of a vacancy in a legislature seat allocated to an independent candidate, the seat in question will not be filled until the next elections. Where then did the reasoning or approval come from for such an inclusion? Council does not deal with this in the explanatory memorandum, yet it has found its way into the bill. This was neither a majority option recommendation nor, sorry, this was neither a minority option recommendation nor a majority option recommendation. Again, it begs the question, who made the decision? The 2013 public participation framework for the South African legislative sector is clear in that it seeks to inform, consult, involve and collaborate with the public. A public participation process is meaningful, ladies and gentlemen, where it provides for, and I quote, levels of participation that is commensurate with the level of public interest. The timeline that I set out above does simply not give South Africans the comfort of knowing that they are being given a real opportunity to have their say. The further processes that must now follow from the 2nd of March, 2022 to the deadline of 10 June, 2022, a period of only four months, will likely leave a great deal to be desired, particularly because these should involve the further consultation and involvement processes of the PPF. I pause for a moment to deal with the Electoral Law's Second Amendment Bill. Whilst the Private Members Bill is not the subject of discussion today, we must make a point around participative democracy when it comes to that particular bill. In order to provide informed input into this bill before us today, due consideration must be given to all pertinent information and documentation relevant to the concept of electoral reform. The Privacy Members Bill again finds a rather interesting timeline. On the 4th of February 2020, it is introduced into Parliament. On the 9th of February 2021, a year later, the bill is presented by the Honourable Mr Lakota and discussed by this committee and it is resolved that the committee will give the executive time to reflect on that amendment. Again, a year later, on the 8th of February, 2022, the bill is once again discussed and this committee um, and uh, Mr. Lakota is given an opportunity to respond, which he reserves his right to do. Two weeks later, this committee resolves not to proceed with the bill because it deems the legislation to be unsuitable. Whilst these decisions may be in keeping with representative democracy, they do not bode well for participatory democracy. On the question of inclusivity, honorable members, 
The Constitutional Court was clear in its requirement to ensure substantive participation of independent candidates. However, as presently drafted, the bill seeks to impose severe restrictions on independent candidates, making it almost impossible for them to substantively be included. In order to include independent candidates, certain barriers of entry are employed to ensure that the volume of people standing for elections is controllable. This seems to be an international law norm and we accept that this makes sense. The stance taken by other countries, for example, include in Britain, candidates nominate, all candidates submit nominations on an individual basis. The rules for candidate nomination nominated by political parties are no different from other candidates in the procedures that they must follow. This does not seem to be the case in the present bill. Clear disparity exists between the selection process of candidates and of political party candidates. In Australia, India, Ireland, and Japan, for example, deposit restrictions are imposed as a way to financially discourage independents who are not serious candidates. In the US, there are special barriers that independent members of small parties must overcome before their names are included on the ballot. Tax candidates are required to get a large number of signatures to support their nomination. The German additional member system of proportional representation provides for half of the seats to be won in contest in single member constituencies and the other half to be allocated to the proportional principle. It is therefore open to an independent candidate to contest the former category of seat only. Whilst barriers for entry seem to be employed in some or other form in other countries, the bill in its present form includes all of the above mentioned barriers, making entry all of the above, sorry, making the hoops that the South African independent candidate must jump through almost impossible. We believe that the bill fails to adhere to the democratic values of transparency, openness, and accountability. Accountability, ladies and gentlemen, is the hallmark of modern democracy. In our constitutional framework, elected officials ought to be accountable to voters who can vote them out of office if needs be. Recommendation 6.8 of the high-level panel on the assessment of key legislation states that the panel recommends that Parliament should amend the Electoral Act to provide for, electoral, for an electoral system that makes members of Parliament accountable to defined constituencies on a proportional representation and on a constituency system. Whilst the panel did not expressly state this, it is our view that the only way in which MPs become directly accountable to defined constituencies is if those constituencies know who they are voting for and are able to hold those people accountable. Through an open list system, the current difficulties facing the country around issues such as corruption may be resolved. Whilst we cannot fix the ills of society through this bill, we certainly can begin to make inroads to do so. That political authority of the country is divided into the legislative, the executive, and the judicial powers. To most effectively promote liberty, these three powers must be separate and act independently. As can be seen in recent years, the separation of the legislative and the executive arms of the state in the South African context goes far beyond the executive itself. The role of state-owned entities and Chapter 9 institutions play a significant role. We believe that the closed party list system has given permission for some of our SOEs in Chapter 9 institutions to be politically charged and motivated. Institutions set up to be independent may be partial, and this speaks to the electoral dominance of those in power. In the SOEs, whose transparency and disclosure are vital to holding them accountable for their performance, 
We have seen how the relationship between the executive arm of government, a shareholder representative, and the leadership teams in these entities has ensured the use of state-owned assets for private interest. A closed system, ladies and gentlemen, gives permission for this to happen. Furthermore, Chapter 9 institutions are meant to ensure that government officials carry out their tasks effectively, fairly, and without corruption or prejudice to ensure effective, accountable, and responsible government. It is not clear whether Chapter 9 institutions are sufficiently independent. The Office of the Public Protector has received extensive criticism in this regard. Questionable decisions emanating from the office has left Parliament with no option but to consider impeachment proceedings against the office. The inability of Parliament to properly carry out these impeachment hearings speaks to the case in point. Again, ladies and gentlemen, a closed system gives permission for this to happen. For the reasons set out above, Honourable Mr. Chabani, we reiterate our view that the bill in its present form has failed to comply with the ruling of the Constitutional Court in that it does not support our democratic values of fairness, inclusivity, transparency, openness and accountability and does not support proper democratic governance or the concept of participatory democracy. Chair, as an organization that stands for good governance, we would endorse and support a condemnation application by this committee to the Constitutional Court, provided that participatory democracy be given proper expression through meaningful public participation, not just on this bill before us, but we would submit on the private members bill. I would like to leave this committee with one final thought. In 1994, I was an 18-year-old in my first year of my undergraduate degree at Wits University. I recall being one of 100 students employed to assist in the media center in Madrid. I recall being ushered to a voting booth during my lunch hour to cast my vote. I recall standing at that booth, a young, black, South African woman filled with pride. Why? Because I knew that whatever mark I made on that ballot paper, that my mark would matter. I stand before this committee today, a young at heart, black South African woman, and it saddens me to think that if this bill carries on along this trajectory, come 2024, my single vote may no longer matter. I thank you, Chair. For your presentation, I've also extended five minutes uh, I want to just to confirm if you are also uh, done with the presentation or this, you can utilize the five minutes. Uh... I am done, Chair. Okay, Thank thanks very much. Thank, thanks, thanks very much for your contribution, uh, colleague, on the process that we uh, were undertaking of interacting on the constitutional court uh, <coughs> judgment. Uh, uh, we are going to invite uh, Mr. Matonzi. I'm. You have indicated that after the two presentation, we'll uh, invite members to raise issues if they are issues, uh, or the course is the submission of on the issues that are part of the integration of the uh, public uh, uh, hearing the discourse of on the on the amendment bill on the bill um, uh, are we going straight to the members or will we come after the two or three presentation that have been done because i see on the agenda 
there are quite a number, but I think it will be fair to not to uh, rule out your processing of guidance in this manner. I'm going to invite members if there's comment on the issues uh, uh, they've raised. Um, I will raise my issue after that. Um, Mr. Matunzi, members who are here, I'm struggling to... Yeah, let's start with the uh, Honorable uh, Ruos. We'll come to Honorable uh, Mulekwa. We'll come to Honorable uh, Tito, Honorable uh, Tswako, Honorable Van der Merve, and Honorable uh, Lohwase and uh, Honorable Pile. I'm informed that members have difficulties with the network. Um, I think we understand that. Uh, Honorable Tswako and Honorable uh, Van der Merve, that maybe have not captured some of the issues. Uh, but at, at the time of our deliberation as the committee, uh, because notes are recorded, we'll able to deal with uh, uh, all the issues that the colleagues have, have raised. So uh, comments and, and issues. In that order, Honorable Ross. Uh, thank you, Chairperson, and uh, thank you to the presenters for uh, participating in our democracy. Um, Chairperson, I think, you know, we, when we look at the um, the People's Bill, um, I, th I think, you know, I, I understand the, the inputs, but, uh, you know, we were in a position where essentially the bill was was withdrawn. So I think that the... Honorable um, Ross, let me, because you are my uh, colleague, I'm, I'm trying to, if I was closer to you, I was going to set up proper your, your shirt. Uh, I'm far, so if you can... Yes, uh, just just move, yeah. Uh, if you can proper uh, buttons and that, yeah, so that uh, I, I don't want to, if we were closer, you know, uh, we're colleagues. Thanks very much. Can we continue? Uh, thank you, Honorable Ross. Uh, thank you, Chair. Thanks for that. Um, so, so Chair, yeah, so, so I think we, you know, we're looking at uh, the, the executive bill at this point in time. Um, I think one of the things we're going to grapple with is obviously South Africa, and you see a lot in a lot of the inputs, um, it talks about accountability and, uh, and wanting uh, accountability from public representatives that are close to the public. Um, and, and I think that's going to come out again and again. Um, but I think we, we also, as a committee, we need to grapple with this. Um, because we speak about um, accountability, um, and, and part of the premise that's been presented is that parties are unaccountable. Um, but parties, chairperson, they they campaign on on a set of, of vision, on values, on policies, and then once voted in, uh, one is to expect that that party members that uh, subscribe to those values and, and policies. Um, would be required to to see them through and to to implement that. And so, um, I think you know that there's an understanding of of the need for accountability and, and the fact that that not everybody does that. Not everybody has the um, you know the, the right um, intentions at heart. Um, but you know we're talking about a system here, um, and and there are many people that that do. And so, you know, I, I think one of the questions that uh, that I'm grappling with is 
Um, I understand how this works in a party. Um, and it would be the same with an independent. I mean, you, you have an independent, you would imagine that they would um, campaign on, a, uh, on, on vision, values, on, on specific policies, and then they would carry that out and represent that. Um, and, and my question specifically to, to uh, the One South Africa uh, movement is, is really, uh, how would they envisage this, this working uh, with a transfer of, of votes? Because you, you would essentially then have uh, persons that voted for independent number one, and then um, the, the independent one perhaps would, would be elected, and then their surplus votes would go to independent number two. Um, and one assumes that independent number two has similar values, et cetera. Um, but, but my question really is there, who holds two accountable? Because once, once they're elected, they're completely independent of each other. So one's votes and, and the votes of all the persons that voted for one goes to two. Uh, and now two is, is independent and, and can do whatever they feel like. Um, and and it's, it's really open to change. Um, so so that, is, that is my question to, to one South Africa movement. I think we need to understand and, and really think about you know, this proposal of saying you want to take surplus votes and give it to somebody else who's completely independent. Uh, but by their, by their nature, they are completely independent and, and can do whatever they want. And so the question is, how, how are they then held accountable to number one's um, voters you know, to, and to ensure that they're consistent? Uh, that's all from me, Chair. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Ross, for uh, your comment. Uh, um, Honorable uh, Molekwa. Thank you very much, uh, Chairperson. Let me also start by appreciating the two presentations from South Africa and Africa School of Governance. Uh, Chairperson, I think it should uh, be noted that uh, the Popular Committee has been committed to adhere to the Constitutional Court ruling and to make sure that all the processes are followed and all stakeholders and civil society should make their submission without fear and favor. And for now, Chairperson, we cannot uh, decide which option uh, to consider because we still have other public hearing uh, to attend to where the majority of stakeholders should participate and raise their views on the electoral amendment. And the intention of the public hearing is to make sure that the public is provided with an opportunity to make their submission. And until all the submissions are received and, comp and co uh, comp uh, compiled, uh, a compilation is done, it is there when we can start to criticize. But I think we are still on the early process to can start criticizing the bill as we still have a long way to go because we are still uh, going to have more public uh, hearing for the uh, community and stakeholders to participate and make their submission. So I think the program of this uh, stakeholders engagement continue as it outlines in the program and in the constitution for the public that they have right to raise their views and participate in their affairs of uh, methods of governance. So Chairperson, I think this bill is in line with the Constitutional Court ruling 
to make sure that the participation of the independent is included. And also, uh, it serves also as a guiding document for public participation so that the community can be able to know what is happening and what are the processes to do to follow and what is the uh, constitutional ruling entails. So we are trying to make sure that everything uh, is is being attended to as per the constitutional controlling chairperson. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Muleko, for your contributions. Honorable Tito. Thank you, thank you, Chair, and, and morning to everyone who is present. Yes, Chair, like, like, like Honorable uh, Muleko has just uh, alluded, uh, the School of Governance, they were emphasizing that there is no enough uh, public uh, participation, but uh, the public participation is very key, care, is, 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 is very key, uh, uh, Chair. We are going to, to embark on a national uh, 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 public participation where we are going to get submission from everyone. And then I think that process is going to be fair and very, very transparent. So they must rest assured that things are going to be done accordingly. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Tito, uh, for your comments. Honorable Tswako, if uh, the network is better. No, Chair, I'm, I'm covered by my colleague. Thank you, thank you, Honorable Tswako. Um, Honorable Fanner Merve, co-chair. If thank you're you also very much. The network, oh yeah. I can, thank, thank you, Chair. I think my network is stable where I am now. Um, thank you very much for the opportunity, Chairperson, and I would like to align myself with our um, previous colleagues who have thanked everybody who came out to represent to us in these first two presentations. Um, firstly, I think I want to make the point that we do share the concerns on, on timeframes. Hence, um, our committee has been very vociferous in saying that this should be a process that involves uh, a very extensive public participation process, a meaningful one. And therefore, I think um, we need to make the point that we are taking this bill throughout the country where we would like to hear the voices of the people. At the end of the day, this bill is their bill and it should reflect their wishes. So um, I did listen to some of the comments. I, I further want to make the point that, that we as a portfolio committee have not engaged with this executive bill yet. It has come to us um, just a few weeks ago and we are now opening the public participation process where we will hear from the public first before we ourselves as parliament deliberate on the outcome thereof. Um, I think I want to make a comment uh, firstly about one, one essay and, and ask a question to the national spokesperson. Um, firstly, I think we share the concern around deposits. I think, you know, political parties, um, you know, have got disposal or money, you know, of, of course, they've got more resources than an independent candidate will have. So it might be an unfair um, situation where independent candidates would have to raise money, whereas, it, you know, obviously it will be much easier for political parties. So I would like to ask the question, will merely requiring a list of signatures be sufficient to prevent um, that frivolous and overly complex number of independent candidates or independent quite to pay deposit, are we not going to see too many candidates coming forward if we, if we, or are they satisfied that, you know, just getting a list of signatures will be sufficient? Um, also, the, the mention about a candidate being able to, when she spoke, she spoke about the need for candidates to be able to, uh, to be uh, represented in both national and provincial 
government, but how would they, or a, a provincial parliament, but how would they be able to represent themselves at both levels um, if they are elected as an independent candidate? And I wanted to share the same concern that Honourable Ruiz shared. If we talk about the issue of wasted votes, of course, we don't want to have a situation where we've got uh, wasted votes being discarded. But if we say, for example, we will be donating um, wasted votes to another candidate, um, you know, that might also undermine the will of the people. Because, for example, if, if I go and stand in the election and I get zero votes, that is obviously the will of the people. I've been rejected by the electorate. But now somebody else, Mr. Lakota, comes and he gives me his excess votes and I get elected to parliament. Would that not also undermine the democratic process? So if I can just get her thoughts on, on that. Um, and then I think we, we do share the concerns of the African School of Governance. As I said, we will make sure that it's an inclusive, transparent, fair process that we will go throughout the country and listen to all the submissions that will come our way. Um, and thank you very much, Chairperson. I'll leave it there. Thank you very much, Co-Chair, uh, for your comments uh, and uh, questions to the colleagues. Honorable Khwasa. Thank you very much, Chair. But I think I'm covered by the latter speakers. Let me just welcome all those that are making submissions. And once again, like my colleagues have said, justice will be done in finalizing the bill. We are on it. Public participation is starting from the 7th of March until the 25th of March. So I think justice will be done and will be saved. There's nothing to worry about. But I think my latter speakers have already covered me. I welcome the presentations. Thank you, Honorable Khwase, uh, for your comment. Honorable Pile. Uh, thank you very much, Chairperson, and very good morning to all presenters. Chair, let me first uh, thank the uh, presenters and the submissions that we have this morning. Uh, thank you for taking the time to make these oral submissions to the committee. Chair, mine is just to start off by saying that um, this process is for us to listen to you and the submissions that you make. So I'm going to make a very special appeal that we, we use the time allocated to us to actually make submissions and recommendations and proposals rather than having to spend 10 of your 15 minutes bashing the, the portfolio committee in parliament, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, and processes. Because really, you, you're wasting the time that was allocated to you. And we actually want to hear what you have to say in order for us to take those recommendations, to deliberate on it and to make um, the final uh, or, or uh, the, the democratic process that we all want to see happen. We want to be able to do that. And we want to be able to do that by listening to your submissions. So I'm making a very special appeal that we concentrate on giving recommendations and proposals. Chairperson, I also must say that um, I found difficulty in listening to the first presentation in terms of what was the real submissions. Um, and, and it's challenging for me because I must be able to take that uh, in my recommendations and also be able to, to deliberate when we compile a report. Um, but yeah, I'm concerned about one thing, and, and this is a question that I want to raise, is around the filling of vacancies. And are we saying that every time an independent uh, position becomes vacant, that we are going to go to a by-election? Does that mean for the entire five-year term, we will have by-elections almost every month? 
if if vacancies occur and how does one then um you know be able to accommodate that process of by elections um secondly chairperson i think it's important to note that the reason for this amendment to the bill is as a result of a constitutional court ruling that says we must now accommodate independent candidates and i want to underline and stress the word independent it means that an individual has chosen to contest an election as an individual not as a political party not as a collective hence chair you cannot then ask for votes that were allocated to an individual to go to any other person that in itself becomes unconstitutional that in itself is not democratic because the collective that votes for an independent candidate wanted to vote for that particular person and not another independent candidate so it's important for us to understand that this carrying over of votes cannot then go to people who share the same interests or cannot go to another independent candidate for any matter then in that case independence must collectively form a party and contest elections as a as a party rather than an independent candidate and so i think it's important for us to bear this in mind and i'm still going to give this advice as a caution to other presenters who are coming please let's focus on your submission that you want to make to this committee in order for us to be able to concisely take that into a report for submissions thank you thank you very much uh, uh, honorable play for your uh, contributions members thanks very much for uh, highlighted the issues on the reports that has been presenting presented um, is the start of our consultation on the the executive bill uh, we still have a long road to interact with that will allow the two presenters uh, so that we are able to afford other presenters who have requested for oral to make also their submissions um and i think honorable uh, pilay you are grounding it fairly in terms of the focus uh, areas we will account on the process of uh, how the committee has engaged in this uh, process uh, so that a narrative is not being built that parliament uh, was passively sitting uh, not to respond to the constitutional uh, court judgment uh, so i'm going to request uh, colleagues uh, just with a few minutes and we're not going to uh, suppress uh, uh, responses i think are comments uh, but i must assure you that uh, all the issues you have raised um, are noted minuted and will form part of our deliberations at the time the committee is going to engage with all the reports including submissions that are not part of the oral uh, and also the public hearing uh, can i start with the um, the spokesperson well thank you very much um and thank you for um the committee's questions and engaging with this um, meaningfully 
I'm going to start with the issue of the single transferable vote because I think that will address um, Honorable Ruiz as well as Vandermarva and Pele. Um, so the first thing is that the way the system is envisaged to work in the People's Bill is that if I stood as an independent candidate, I would have to declare beforehand that should they have, should I have surplus votes, this is the candidate that um, my surplus votes will go to. So it's never creating a situation whereby I'm voting for one and I don't know who the other people are, which is quite ironic because in some ways that actually happens with political parties where I might be particularly interested in a leader and actually voting for the leader of that party or the second person on the party list. But essentially, my vote actually goes to number two, three, four, five, six, three hundred on the list who I don't even know. So in a lot of ways, the system of being open and having to declare beforehand who your spare or extra votes go to is actually, I think, more direct and accountable than a system of a closed list, which might not you might not necessarily be voting for number 56 on the list but your vote to the party gets number 56 in. So a mechanic that we've built specifically to avoid that situation is that you have to declare who the person is. And so canvassing for and voting for independent number one, you're very clear that in the event that I vote for number one and I have extra votes, then that goes to number two. And that is a decision that a voter needs to reconcile themselves with before they vote for number one. And then on the issue that you mentioned, Honorable Ruiz, on accountability, in a constituency-based system, and that's why the question of constituency has to re-enter the conversation, because in a constituency-based system, it's simple. The MP is directly accountable to their constituency. So it's not for independent one and constituency of independent one to hold independent number two um, accountable. It's for the constituency where that MP resides over to hold that MP accountable. So the constituency system actually clarifies all of maybe those um uh, issues. Um, the second issue I think we need to deal with is this public participation process. And I think that will maybe address um, Honorable Tito's concern um, as well as a few others. I just want to be clear that public participation process is not a tick box exercise. It's not to say that, well, we had this wonderful Zoom tick box public participated, and then we went out into the provinces over the next week tick box um, exercise tick. The purpose and why we raise public participation so much, and my colleague um, from the School of Governance also made exactly the same point. Public participation has to be meaningful. And on a bill with this kind of magnitude and the implications that it has literally on the future of our democracy and how our parliament functions, people need to be presented with options. People have to have, a, especially because constituency-based models has been something that's been discussed literally since the dawn of our new democracy. It's unfair to take the public participation process out on the executive bill, which does not even consider have them mention constituency-based systems. And I think it's really important that we um, make this distinction now. And I think this also addresses maybe one of um, Honorable Pillay's comments about the fact that this bill is specifically um, made to address the Concourse judgment, which is specifically only about accommodating independent candidates. Let's not put ourselves in a situation where we're um, passing a bill now, which deals with specifically independent candidates. Then two years from now, someone's going back to the constitutional court and saying, you know what, 
our electoral act doesn't actually properly give context and um, meaning to accountability. And one of the ways to do that is by a constituency-based system. And then four years from now, we're all back here doing another amendment bill to deal with the issue of accountability. Our urging to you is to say, now you have an opportunity via the constitutional court judgment to enact legislation which is comprehensive and deals with electoral form as a whole. Why would you run a process now only to run a process again and then again? You have an opportunity, and also the way the constitutional court judgment works is that it says a bare, it sets a bare minimum. The bare minimum of this exercise is to accommodate independent candidates. On top of that, the accommodation of independent candidates has to be substantive and meaningful. Otherwise, you're going to find yourself back in the constitutional court saying, well, Parliament has done a tick box exercise and they've accommodated independent candidates. But this accommodation is not meaningful and substantive and therefore we need to go back. So the reason why we're sort of dealing with these issues comprehensively is to avoid further litigation and to avoid us amending an electoral bill now and then doing it two years from now and doing it two years from now again. I think the last quick issue I'll address, which um, is also important, is about, um, or I'll actually put this back to Honorable Ruiz, and maybe we can get clarification from the committee. Was the bill removed? Um, I think the Honorable Ruiz had used the word withdrawn, or was it voted undesirable? Those are two very different consequences. And to your point, um, Honorable Pillay, the purpose of this address was not to, and I, I apologize if you feel bashed, it was not an instance of bashing. It was an instance of it's important that the public understands the process through which this bill has ended up in front of them. If there were issues which you take exception to, the question shouldn't be about me addressing it. It should be about the fact that there were issues to begin with in the process. So we should frame the discussion around the process because the process directly impacts the executive bill that people now are going to participate on. Um, okay. And then, sorry, if I can just address one other issue with which um, Honorable Pillay had mentioned with regards to vacancies, because it's extremely important. So Honorable Pillay, um, you have the benefit of reading both the extensive written submission that OSA submitted, as well as a curate um, a, a legal counsel's opinion, which deals with the details. So that will maybe help you better frame your um, report. But the whole issue of vacancies, there are tens and thousands of councillors at municipal level that we run by elections when, for example, one councillor dies. I don't understand how that is less cumbersome than potentially running a by election for at maximum, they can at maximum currently be 200 members of parliament or independent candidates. So I'm not sure how running by elections for 200 members is more cumbersome, potentially 200 members. Is more cumbersome than running by elections for tens and thousands of councillors that we have at municipal level. And what you must understand about the whole thing about by elections, it's not by elections for by elections' sake. The constitutional principle that I again mentioned, which has been dealt with in the Delil matter in the Western Cape High Court, is to say people must be represented, must be represented at national level. So for the fact that you have a vacancy, it's not about vacancy sake, it's about the vacancy is just a, mechan a mechanism that leaves people unrepresented. And so we can't, we can't ignore the constitutional principle about representation because we don't want the admin or the logistics or the cost of running a by-election. It is imperative that people are represented and that's why 
by elections as a model has been used at local government election. Otherwise, I could simply say to you, then, well, let's stop running by elections at municipal level and we just leave the councillor seats open. Um, I think I'll retire over there, but I think a lot of the issues that maybe haven't been addressed are sufficiently addressed in the written submission and in the opinion from legal counsel. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you very much uh, for your responses and presentation 1SA um, for the opportunity to address or to interact with the committee uh, for the notes that uh, you and your team intended uh, to communicate. Uh, we'll note uh, and for further deliberation by the, uh, the committee. School of Governance, the comments or responses that uh, uh, you and your team will respond. Thank you very much, Chair. My responses will be very brief. Um, just on the question of Honourable, that Honourable Ruiz asked, around, well, the statement that Honourable Ruiz made around the private members bill being withdrawn. Um, like the previous um, speaker, I would like clarity on that because, Chair, if I have regard to this committee's um, minute of the 22nd of February, it states that the committee resolved not to proceed with the bill because it deems the legislation to be unsuitable. So I think as, as members of the public, we would really like an answer to that. Was the private member's bill withdrawn or has this committee take a decision not to proceed with it because it deems the bill to be or the legislation to be unsuitable? Um, dealing with the um, statements made by Honorable Molekwa, Honorable Tito, Honorable Fanamerva, I take your point that um, a further process is being embarked upon. However, I would like to stress at this time that given the time left, the four months left, is there enough time to embark on a meaningful public participation process? That really is the question. I think coupled with how what process has been followed to get us to this point, that's really what, what I, I had been trying to say this morning. Um, but I take your point that a national process will be embarked upon and we wait with bated breath to see how that process will unfold. Um, finally, just on Honorable Pillay's um, uh, uh, comments, um, I think it bears mentioning that Honorable Pillay mentioned that independent candidates are being accommodated as opposed to substantively included. I think that those are two very different concepts. Um, if one has regard to the Constitutional Court ruling, it's very clear that the Constitutional Court required that independent candidates be substantively included, not just accommodated. Um, and then finally, Honorable Pillay, I would like to think that it's my constitutional right to bash this committee. I would like to think that that is, in essence, how representative democracy works. But I do take your point, and I'd like to think also that in my final conclusions that our recommendations were quite clear. If this committee is planning on seeking condemnation application from the Constitutional Court, we as an organization would support such a condemnation application on the understanding and on the proviso that a substantive participatory democracy element be included, that being that both bills be presented to the public to make a decision. I thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, uh, colleagues, uh, School of Governance, for your presentations and your uh, uh, comments uh, and the time uh, you were afforded to be with the, uh, the committee. We'll also at that particular time when there's going to be deliberation with the committee, we'll uh, uh, note 
some of the issues uh, uh, that were raised. We'll deal with the other issues which you raised, and I think you are not directing to Honorable Wars, you are directing to the committee at the end of our uh, 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 presentation so that we don't uh, deal with questions as they come. Uh, we'll, we'll comprehensively work in terms of the uh, brief line when all the presentation has been done. We're noting two critical issues that uh, uh, you have been directed to the committee. Thanks very much. Uh, we're going now to invite uh, Mr. Z- uh, uh, Mr. Matonsi, you'll assist us. Um, I see on the agenda is Mr. Zolani and the uh, Citizen Parliament, um, correct? Chairperson, yes. Okay. Is Mr. Zolani Zonyani. Okay. Thank you, Mr. Zolani uh, 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 Zonyani. Uh, you are welcome. This is the time to contribute, make your presentation. Uh, thanks very much. Uh, thanks a lot, Chair. Uh, firstly, good morning to yourself, uh, the members of the Portfolio Committee, uh, the IEC, and all those uh, who are in uh, attendance. Uh, mine, Chair, uh, has been an option of really looking at uh, specific sections uh, of uh, the bill itself uh, and therefore making uh, some proposals or recommendations uh, in terms of what ought to be included uh, in uh, ensuring that uh, there is equal treatment uh, of uh, the independent candidates. Uh, Firstly, the basis of uh, the objection and uh, perhaps uh, the proposals uh, that I'll be making. Uh, The bill makes uh, the political party candidates, uh, to me, superior to independent candidates. Uh, And therefore, as I've indicated, uh, the comments that I'll be making really seeks to bridge uh, that gap of equality, uh, specifically to ensure that uh, there's that equality. Starting with the preamble, as I've indicated, uh, th- th- there is a part uh, that really talks to uh, the provision uh, by registered parties in terms of submitting declarations. Uh, my proposal there is that uh, instead of only focusing on the registered parties, uh, also the independent candidates uh, must be uh, accommodated uh, and therefore that part of the preamble needs to be amended uh, to ensure that uh, also the independent candidates uh, are included in the declarations uh, that must be made. Yes, the preamble goes at length uh, in dealing with uh, issues of independent candidates, but uh, this part uh, that I just uh, proposed share is not in the current preamble. Uh, Looking at uh, section one, uh, specifically the the definitions, uh, starting with the definition of the candidate, uh, it, it reads up to a point where it talks to a political party or not, uh, which for me, the part that says not uh, seeks to mute uh, the existence of uh, the the independent candidates. Uh, Similarly, if one looks at the definition of uh, the independent candidate, uh, there is a lot of uh, not uh, that is used, uh, but then the proposition term, starting with the candidate, uh, instead of using the not, uh, after the political party, then there should be or, 
by citizens or any community stakeholder or stakeholders. And I'll get uh, to that uh, shortly. Uh, similarly with uh, the independent candidate chair, it is important that uh, there should be a scope for the nominations uh, to be supported by non-party aligned uh, citizens uh, or community stakeholders uh, who reside uh, in that particular same reason. Uh, and again, uh, for me, it's the issue of promoting accountability more than anything else uh, to ensure that uh, at least where there is uh, a room, uh, there is an already organized type of uh, forum uh, that can uh, hold independent candidates uh, accountable. And uh, the proposition of the insertion of uh, the, in the definitions share uh, of a community stakeholder, uh, which uh, in terms of my submission, uh, I've also indicated as such to say uh, what could uh, be that uh, community stakeholder. Uh, on the party liaison officer, in as much as it's not part of uh, the published bill uh, in terms of the definition, uh, I'm making a proposition that uh, because if I look at the principal act, uh, it, it talks about party liaison committee. Then the question is, uh, if it's only political parties uh, that are accommodated in that particular committee, what then happens uh, to the independent uh, candidates? And to that effect, uh, my proposition is that uh, it should be a liaison committee uh, instead of a, a party liaison committee. Uh, and again, the reason for that, uh, as I've indicated, is that equality and representativity uh, of uh, the independent candidates. If, for an example, the partilizing committee cannot be changed, uh, then uh, there ought to be a mechanism uh, to liaise and cooperate uh, with the independent candidates, uh, which must also be clear uh, in the Electoral uh, Commission Act. Uh, I went to section 31A, uh, subsection one, uh, in terms of uh, where the person may be nominated. And again, as I've indicated, the bill seeks uh, to mute uh, the fact that uh, independent candidates uh, will be part and parcel of the elections. Uh, hence the proposition that uh, in that section, uh, the inclusion of uh, probably the nomination by non-political party aligned uh, citizens uh, or community uh, stakeholders uh, who, who can participate uh, in that particular process. I think it is fair to specify uh, who nominates uh, independent candidates, uh, as it is also specific on who nominates a, a party a candidate uh, in terms of contesting uh, elections. Uh, in section 31B, uh, subsection 1, uh, without really going through the section itself, uh, in terms of the submission uh, to the commission, I, I think uh, it should be clarified that uh, it's the nominator uh, who make uh, those uh, particular submissions because at the present moment, specifically looking at that specific sections, uh, it is mute uh, on that. And really the proposal seeks to clarify that uh, the nominator has a responsibility to submit uh, the nomination form uh, as required by Schedule 1 for subsection two uh, to the uh, principal act, uh, which has been amended uh, by the subsequent acts. Uh, in terms of section 31B3F uh, share, 
this section has an element of exclusivity uh, because it takes away, uh, from my perspective, uh, the rights of non-political party aligned uh, citizens uh, who might, uh, for an example, left uh, their parties uh, three months or less uh, preceding the date of uh, the nomination. Uh, this also impedes, uh, I believe, uh, the rights of the electorate to choose a candidate uh, of their choice uh, to deepen democracy, which we are talking about today. Uh, therefore, there should be no time limit for as long as the switch from a political party to being an independent candidate does not affect uh, the electoral processes. Because for me, if that uh, proposition uh, is on the basis of there will be an effect or that will affect the processes, uh, then one will have to think uh, otherwise. Uh, section 31C3, Chair, uh, specifically this section and its uh, subsections, uh, my proposition is that it must be taken out uh, because uh, it contradicts uh, the definition of uh, independent candidate uh, in the sense that uh, an independent candidate cannot have dual nomination. Uh, if we go back to the definition of an independent candidate, I think it's clear for me that you can't be nominated on the basis of a party list and also be nominated on the basis of being an independent candidate. And I'm further saying, if this uh, section is not really taken out, it then creates an impression or encourage the double nomination of candidates and ultimately, administratively, that could be a burden to, to the uh, IEC. Uh, looking at section 94 of the Principal Act, and again, uh, not necessarily part of the bill itself, uh, it talks about the code uh, of conduct. Uh, I, I'm saying, sir, the code must be reviewed in its entirety to ensure that it accommodates uh, independent candidates because uh, at the present moment for me, it is too narrow uh, because it's more focused on party and party candidates uh, and it excludes the uh, independent candidates as if they will uh, be immune to or will not get involved in political violence or of any kind. Uh, it is on that basis that uh, I'm making uh, this submission in terms of that particular uh, section. Uh, looking at Schedule uh, 1 uh, for subsection 2 of the Principal Act as per the bill, which talks about uh, the nominators, uh, my proposition, and I'm glad the IEC is part of uh, this session, Chair, because uh, what the IEC needs to do uh, specifically for that uh, schedule uh, it must plan for a countrywide intensive uh, voter education, uh, which will then ensure that uh, every potential nominator and voter is educated about this particular requirement, and that the nominators and voters are educated about the actual nomination process and how to complete uh, the required forms, uh, as there is a, a number of forms uh, that need to be completed, they need to understand and specifically know uh, their role and understand uh, their role to, to that particular effect. Going to Schedule 1, uh, 5A, uh, subsection 1, uh, the proposed insertion there, Chair, uh, should be considered again for, for the deletion uh, because, uh, as I've indicated in my uh, previous submission, uh, it contradicts uh, also the definition of uh, independent candidates 
uh, that uh, the, the, the independent candidate cannot appear in, in the list of uh, political parties. And uh, again, for me, if we say in the definition of independent candidates, this is how uh, it should be, but within uh, the act itself, we create an impression that uh, the dual nomination is possible. Uh, th th that is problematic uh, on its own chain. Going to schedule one subsection six uh, to the principal act uh, in terms of the inspection of the list of candidates and draft list of independent candidates. Uh, to me, uh, this suggests that uh, party lists are final whilst lists of independent candidates are in a draft form. And as I've indicated at the beginning, for the sake of equality, the party lists ought to be also draft share because uh, this part and subsequently Schedule 16A uh, therefore must be amended to include a draft list of candidates and draft list of uh, the independent uh, candidates. Schedule 1, uh, subschedule 10, uh, which talks about uh, the electoral court in terms of uh, considering and deciding uh, on appeals. Uh, in this particular section, uh, there is an accommodation of independent candidates by insertion of uh, section 31E4, uh, uh, but then the use of the parties uh, in that particular section share uh, Firstly, the use of the term parties has been widely used in the bill itself to refer to a political party and can easily be read in the context of this particular section to be referring only to political parties, which then by default ignores the insertion of section 31E subsection 4, specifically in dealing with those who are involved in the appeal. Therefore. The proposition I'm making uh, in refining that particular section is that uh, the electoral court must consider and decide an appeal brought under section 34 or 31E4 and notify those involved in the appeal as opposed to notifying the parties involved uh, in the appeal. Uh, going towards the conclusion and in looking uh, in Schedule 1A, uh, this schedule chair, and I've looked at it, and uh, my previous colleagues have uh, touched uh, extensively on it. Uh, for me, it favors political parties. And uh, from my viewpoint, it make, makes uh, the, the political parties uh, supreme uh, in this particular process, and therefore first-class citizens uh, over the independent uh, candidates, uh, which by default, uh, makes uh, the independent candidates uh, the second class uh, citizens. Uh, the current schedule, uh, as, I, as, as I've said uh, probably a number of times, is tempering, uh, according to my view, uh, on constitutional requirements, uh, as it is contradicting uh, the section uh, one, sub, uh, section A uh, of the constitution, because specifically uh, that section one of the constitution is clear on the achievement of equality and the advancement of human rights and freedoms. And I haven't really got into a substantive input as it relates to this schedule, because I believe, and as I said this morning, some of the organizations are taking that to a substantive level. I'll rest there, Chair.
and then uh, we can engage uh, further uh, regarding any questions uh, that might come. Uh, thanks a lot. Thanks very much. Uh, thanks very much, uh, Mr. Zolani Sonyani, uh, for uh, your time and your presentation. We'll now invite uh, the Citizens Parliament, and then we'll deal with the two presentations in a manner we've been dealing in the, uh, with the first two presentations. Mr. Citizens Parliament? Yes. Uh, thank you, Chairperson, honorable members, uh, other presenters, and uh, the citizens of South Africa. We thank the committee for this opportunity to make this presentation. One, I want to e indicate that uh, we are a, a forum which creates a platform for individual citizens, as well as uh, citizens associations, movements, and so on and so on. Our intention is to encourage citizens to take full responsibility to ensure that uh, they make political choices, including nomination of candidates, making them accountable, and it be facilitated that they are even able to recall those candidates. <clears throat> we started this process uh, in 2015. We made a substantive you know, submission to the Constitution Committee of Parliament, proposing that uh, the current electoral act be changed to accommodate those what are called constituency representatives directly nominated by citizens uh, in, the, in, the, in the act. <clears throat> of course, Parliament uh, responded uh, in 2017, acknowledging that that, it, that can be done without necessarily uh, amending the constitution, but nothing happened. We engaged the IEC <clears throat> for quite a long time. I think they don't like me uh, because I've been uh, trying to avoid litigation in this matter. But uh, after parliament and IEC could not, you know, concede to our request, we were obliged then to approach, uh, approach the Constitutional Court on this matter. And I don't want to <clears throat> indicate then what, what was the process, but this whole matter then ended up in the Constitutional Court judgment of the 11th June 2020. <clears throat> we just want to make a, a, a few comments <clears throat> excuse me, uh, on what is obvious with the parliament in terms of the constitution and uh, in terms of the website of uh, a parliament, that uh, the responsibility of parliament is to secure participatory democracy, oversight, transparency, and so on. The second area we want to emphasize is equality. The previous presenter has dealt with this matter. I would advise members of this committee <clears throat> not to allow themselves 
uh, to be deprived of the opportunity to go and read the judgment itself. Because if they don't read the judgment itself, they may miss a golden opportunity to adequately respond to the constitutional court judgment. The issue of equality was addressed extensively in the constitutional court judgment. And uh, I, I, I think Justice Shafter was even, you know, decided to write a separate judgment, although he supported the, 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 the majority view, because he wanted to make this point very clear that the rights in the Constitution are reserved for citizens. Everyone who is a citizen of South Africa must be treated equally. Now, if we move from that premise, this piece of legislation must answer the question, to whom are political parties and independent candidates accountable? I know it's easy to say accountable to the people, but in reality, the current situation is very clear that members of parliament, first and foremost, they are accountable to their own political parties. When it comes to the citizens, they just vote, and thereafter, they hand everything to political parties. They don't have power to recall. I mean, they are just powerless. That is the area this committee must consider seriously. How this legislation should empower citizens to take full responsibility to advance their interests individually and collectively as citizens. Assist in the process of mobilization of citizens of South Africa to be active citizens in all respects as well as ensuring that they are part and parcel of accountability and oversight processes. So the citizens' parliament is going to work closely with parliament in this regard, so that we mobilize citizens to be involved, so that they can even defend this democracy, beyond just defending democracy, but defend this democracy. When political parties are trapped in factional politics and so on, citizens must stand up, speak and take full responsibility to protect this democracy. We cannot, you know, blame everything on political parties as citizens because the constitution, I want to repeat, reserve all rights for the citizens as individuals and in their collective Association. Section 18, for example, in that uh, judgment and section 19 are dealt with adequately how they are linked. Because section 18 is recognizing citizens and their freedom of association. Then in section 19, it talks about everyone who is a citizen 
And then it says, including political parties. But the current electoral act is only providing those rights to political parties, which is unconstitutional. That is unconstitutional. Now, that is why then I'm I'm motivating members of this committee. If you don't want parliament to be embarrassed in the nation, go and read the constitutional court judgment and ensure that an act will meet those requirements. On the issue... Mr. Matomela, sorry to to disrupt you. Your team has just alerted me that they request the your presentation to be flagged. Uh, no can, you assist, can, can you assist uh, Mr. Matomela's team assist that we must flag the representation? I mean the presentation. Uh, Adams, do you have it or Matonzi? Uh, Chairperson, uh, there was no uh, presentation given. We have the original submission we can um, we can share if, if necessary. Okay. okay. In the meantime, you'll proceed and then you will yes. work out the logistics. Uh, you can continue, Mr. Matoma. Thank you. Yes, just allow screening. We will uh, uh, do exactly like that. <clears throat> now, let me just uh, make this one comment again. What uh, one South Africa movement is, is presenting and uh, 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 you know, as a people's uh, appeal, now we are <clears throat> considering the, the the draft bill from the executive. One member here, I don't remember the name, said we have not even considered the executive uh, electoral amendment bill as a committee. <clears throat> now. Why that is the situation? Members may not see anything wrong with that. But I'm telling you, this is in violation of the Constitution, particularly uh, 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 Clause 2 of the Constitution, which says the Constitution is supreme law. Any conduct and decision inconsistent with it is invalid. Now, Parliament was given 24 months, but Parliament is only dealing with this matter now, as it has been uh, demonstrated. They received a bill from the executive on the 24th of November, 2021. And then it is gazetted during holidays, 31st December, and then considered in January by the committee. Public hearings were, 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 were limited to a few, few days up to the 21st. Now, the point I want to make here, honorable members, you must go to that section two and check how parliament has been dealing with issues like the one before you. A judgment of a constitutional court, 
directing parliament to consider amending the electoral act within 24 months. I know as you are seated here, you have no control over that. So I can't be bashing you. But if you check parliament, parliament is the representative of all the citizens of South Africa. Now, they are given full constitutional rights to consider initiate legislation, if I'm not mistaken, section 44 and section 55. But parliament developed a culture which is coming from a particular conduct to wait for the executive to initiate legislation. Yes, the executive has got constitutional right to initiate legislation. Equally, parliament has got all those rights. All the uh, reports which were indicating to this flaw in the conduct of parliament have been ignored to date. So I'm advising members of this committee to look in, you can simply ask your legal team to look into this matter and come up with a recommendation uh, to parliament as an institution to address, address this matter because it is violation of section two of the constitution. The fact that the constitutional court gave you 24 months may not even be understood uh, by the citizens per se. But the truth of the matter is that uh, parliament was declared null and void. Parliament and the executive was declared null and void on the 11th of June, 2020. But in its wisdom, the Constitutional Court suspended that decision for 24 months. So the fact that you are already, we have taken a decision as this committee to approach the Constitutional Court for an extension, I can tell you now, you will have to justify why it took this time for you to do what you are doing today. When parliament is empowered by the constitution in terms of section 44, 55 to initiate legislation, what parliament should have done? Parliament should have asked the executive and the citizens to make submissions so that your legal team would draft a piece of legislation which is in line with the constitution and the constitutional court judgment. My advice to the committee then, take what has been submitted to you as a, as a people's legislation, what has been submitted to you by the executive, consider all the inputs which are going to be put be, before you, then instruct the parliamentary legal section to draft a, a piece of legislation which will comply with the constitution and the order of the constitutional court. So if you do that, you will be making a contribution to change this culture of parliament of allowing the executive to dictate terms to parliament so that we deepen our democracy, we give opportunities to the citizens to do likewise. So I'm done with the 
the, the, the issue of uh, equality. Let me now uh, go to the issues around uh, definitions. Our proposal, uh, Chair and Committee, is that uh, our definition of a political party is very clear because we have been doing this, uh, you know, uh, using this system for 20, over 28 years now. But what we are bringing in is recognition of non-partisan citizens who don't want to be part of political parties for one reason or another. This piece of legislation must recognize that there are associations which are not necessarily political parties. One of the uh, judges who was uh, opposed to the decision, if you go and read the Constitutional Court judgment, said parliament and those citizens who are interested to participate must give an opportunity for all citizens who are non-political to organize themselves in what she calls a non-political party. But that party itself may create a, a problem because it may confuse the situation. Our proposal is that constituencies should be allowed to be organized on a non-partisan and inclusive basis so that there will be constituency association or constituency associations assemble. Whatever you know, uh, uh, terminology we can adopt in local government, for example, we have uh, the, the what committees. In this case, you would have uh, a, a constituency association as well as their councils or committees, whatever as South Africans uh, would prefer. That will address the issue of accountability, which has been raised by many presenters and members of parliament here. Question again, to whom are political parties accountable? We are going to say to the people, are those people aware of their rights in the constitution, of their rights in pieces of legislation like this? Have they been educated and facilitated? The answer is no. So this committee, parliament as a whole, and citizens must take full responsibility, educate ourselves so that our people can be responsible to depend to deepen their own democracy and defend it. Therefore, it is a, a, a proposed uh, a chair that uh, constituency assemblies or constituency associations on nonpartisan basis are recognized so that political parties as well as uh, what I call constituency public representatives are made to be accountable. The point here is that these seats in these uh, uh, district constituencies must not belong to these individuals because these individuals did not nominate themselves. They were nominated by citizens within specific districts. Therefore, they must be individually and collectively be accountable to those constituencies 
who are organized. These structures exist already, honorable members. You know, because I, we come from these communities. If you take uh, a faith communities, they've got assemblies, councils, operational 24-7. If you go to traditional communities, the same. If you go to uh, other citizens, they've got citizens' associations, which are nonpartisan. Just in one line, recognize those citizens and their institutions within each and every constituency, even at a provincial and national level, so that they organize themselves on a nonpartisan basis, they engage one another, reach consensus, and then advance. Members of parliament who are independent candidates or who are constituency representatives must have two responsibilities. One, I must articulate and represent my individual constituency, but I must be able at the same time to be part of the collective representing the collective best interest of the citizens of South Africa in a province or at a national level. So that members should, uh, should consider seriously. The other area I want to raise honorable members uh, is the issue of uh, air allocation of seats. One presentation uh, reminded us about uh, the Francis Labat report, which recommended that uh, then the, the regional representation be increased from 50-50 to 75%. Uh, percent uh, to 25%, that is uh, uh, regional representatives, 75%, and then uh, uh, proportional representation, 25%. That is, what, that is our stand as citizens' parliament. And we have been, uh, we placed this before all the uh, 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 structures we've been engaging. The reason here, honorable members, it's not about uh, <clears throat> weakening political parties, if I may say so, but it's the opposite, strengthening citizens, making sure that citizens take full responsibility for their democracy. So if we have got 75% of independent candidates or personnel, I would prefer constituency public representatives, representing the constituent, I mean the constituencies throughout the nation. We will have a stable government, I submit, but we have the 25% of political parties who will come from their perspective of ideologies and so on and so on, so that we have got a vibrant, you know, uh, a democracy. Even without honorable members amending the constitution, if this is accepted, we, we can allow citizens of South Africa to nominate a president who will come as part of the constituency public representatives. Nominated, and then when we come to parliament, the uh, constituency representatives there will nominate that candidate as a president, the other one as a deputy. And this can be done even in the provinces when it's come to premiers and so on. So these honorable members, it is about deepening our democracy. Now let me go to financial qualifications quickly. Our submission is that uh, 
The financial qualification as a matter of principle is a door and a gate to corruption and state capture. This is where the problem starts, even with political parties. You go and fundraise, you are given support by a particular business people as an independent candidate, as a political party. And when you come into office, these people have got expectations. And if you want to be continued to be financed, you, you create opportunities for these people, which leads you to, to find yourself in, in a corrupt relationship with that individual. I think this matter is, has been considered by the Zondo Commission. Our submission is that uh, as a nation, we must do away with qualifications based on, on finances. Rather, we talk about uh, ethical conduct of uh, members in a political party or independent candidates, which for me uh, uh, leads uh, to this important one. Voter support should be the main determinant of who is registering and who is contesting elections. So if you don't want to see a flood of independent candidates, for example, just lift up the bar so that they can go and uh, uh, mobilize citizens to support them. So if you have done that, you have removed the gate of corruption, you know, uh, uh, because this thing of corruption is, has become endemic and we must use this opportunity to close this door. So that is our submission. But we are saying any other qualifications uh, can be considered uh, in this regard. Uh, Chair, let me uh, deal with the remedy. We are saying this committee, parliament in particular as a whole, must look closely to section two of the constitution because we can list almost for the last 28 years how parliament has violated that clause. Now, I've already argued that I'm not going to go any further. Lastly, Chair, the, the implications of you going to the Constitutional Court, which you should be aware of, is that uh, if the Constitutional Court is not convinced by your reasons for application uh, for extension, you may find a situation where the Constitutional Court declare that parliament and the executive are void and invalid because they've undermined the constitutional court judgment and they've been violating particularly section two of the constitution. That may lead immediately to the dissolution of the two structures uh, of the three arms of government. And you may have to go to elections uh, and so on and so on. So that is the possibility uh, uh, in front of you. So I'm alerting you to this 
so that uh, you are able, you know, to uh, to prepare yourselves because we will meet you in court definitely. But our duty is not to embarrass Parliament; it is to deepen democracy, and therefore make it sure, honourable members, that this piece of legislation addresses all the elements raised in the Constitutional Court judgment. I thank you very much, Honorable Chaban and members. Thank you very much for, sorry, for your contributions um, on the matter. Uh, and members have taken notes of uh, your, uh, or your collective version of submission to the, to the, to the committee. And also your opening remark which will uh, definitely uh, deal with that as we conclude our our uh, our oral uh, uh, submissions. Uh, the issues which are related to the bill and the issues that are related to uh, approach the constitutional court are separate in terms of your our view and what will uh, undertake to give a short brief as we close. I think one of the matters uh, which I think you have, you are highlighting, uh, parliament and members uh, sufficiently read the judgment. I think I must forefront raise that point uh, so that it does not uh, give credit to uh, the posture or the attitude of your presentation in line with how we understand as members of parliament or the committee itself to interact with the process uh, to that extent. But we do take your approach in terms of the issues that are relevant that you have raised and the notes have been taken. I'm going to invite members for comments on the, on the submission made on both uh, Mr. Zolani. Um, I've afforded you uh, Mr. Matomela time. I've taken from Mr. Zolani because he's utilized less time. Thank you. Yeah, I will um, invite Honorable Ross, Honorable Lekwa, Honorable Tito, Honorable Tsuako, Honorable Fander uh, Merve, Honorable uh, Ramolo Beng, Honorable Hwasen, Honorable Pile. Um, in that order, Honorable Ross, yes, thank you. Comrade Chair, Comrade Chair, it's Lakota speaking. Oh, veteran Lakota. Yes, I'm sorry, sir, I, I came late, but I would like to uh, put my name on the list for to make no, no, an no, interview. No no no. no, 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 you're welcome, veteran Lakota. We, we're not aware that uh, uh, you are in the, in the meeting today. Uh, uh, feel comfort. Um, I see you're a drama king. I'm not sure what does it mean, but I don't want to use it unless you allow me, Honorable Veteran Lakota, uh, unless there's no, amendment. I, don't know. I also don't know who's that. Uh. Okay, let's leave it. Uh, we'll use the, we'll call the drama king as we proceed with the, okay. with the yeah, meeting. Okay. Yeah, you'll be on the list, on a Veteran uh, Lakota. Thanks very much for Thank attending you, the meeting. Honorable Ross? Uh, thank you, Chair. Um, I, I guess drama king is better than drinking, so um, we'll, we'll accept it for what it is. Um, 
Uh, first of all, again, thank you to the, the two presenters um, for your considered inputs. Um, so, so just one issue for, for Mr. Um, Zoniani that I'm just trying to understand. Um, so we talk about the issue of not requiring independence to declare not being a member of a political party, um, sort of within that last three months. Um, so I'm just trying to determine, are, are you saying that a, a person should be able to stand as an independent and on a political party list? Um, if you can just clarify that um, for me, uh, because the, you know, the potential risk is obviously then that you have an internal system or, or, or electoral process in a political party, and then those that don't make it go and stand as um, independents, which defeats the whole purpose um, of, of giving independence. Uh, the right to stand. Um, and then from the Citizens Parliament, um, looking at the issue of, uh, you know, that independent candidates should not have to pay the monetary deposit, um, you know, to be eligible. Um, so is, is there any basis um, which shows that um, this has previously um, prevented independent candidates from standing, you know, the, the, the financial um, aspect? And then how does the Citizens Parliament um, you know, how do you feel about, for example, a political party of one or two or three persons having to pay a deposit and then an independent that then gives their vote to a second or a third person? So effectively a, a quasi party not having to pay. Does that not give a, an advantage to, to those persons that decide to work together and say, well, I'll give you my votes, you give me your votes, um, et cetera, et cetera. So just some comment on that, Chair. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Ross, uh, for that comment. Uh, Honorable Molekwa. Thank you very much, uh, Chairperson. Let me also note the presentation has been presented. Chairperson, uh, I wanted to ask a question on the renewal of the three-month cooling period, but I think Honorable Ross has already covered that, Chairperson. So that was my question I wanted to ask you, Mr. Zolane. So I am covered, Chairperson. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Tito. Thanks, Chairperson. And uh, I also welcome the presentations that were done by the two, by the two speakers. Chair, I only want to make a, 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 a question to Mr. To Mr. Um, Matumel. Yes, yes, I think it's Mr. Matumel. He is emphasizing on the citizens, on the on the on the citizens uh, parliament. I just want to ask him every every citizen, whenever they go to vote, they know there are certain political parties, and every citizen belongs to a certain political party before going to cast a vote. So is Mr. Matumela saying that even in parliament, those those citizens now they have a right to recall a person from parliament whenever that 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 that, that person is an MP. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Tito. Veteran Lakota. No, drama veteran Lakota. <laughs> yeah. But um I'm let me stick with the with the name you've taken oath on. Veteran Lakota. Chairperson, thank you very much for this opportunity. I do want to say that uh, I have made a means to uh, present a bill before, before the committee, before parliament and, and all of that. And uh, 
although uh, it was debated here and there, and so I never withdrew that view. And the reason for that is precisely for a whole range of reasons that Mr. Matomela was uh, pointing to. We are entitled to have a full and proper time. But since, since we started this discussion, since the judgment of the Constitutional Court, we have not been given open space to debate sufficiently, including with the public of South Africa, the issues relating to the questions that were dealt with before the Constitutional Court. And I was asked on no less than one occasion whether I was withdrawing the bill that I had presented or not. And I repeatedly said, I am not withdrawing the bill because unless that bill is discussed and the citizens of our country are given an opportunity to discuss that bill, it cannot be that that bill is kept out of parliament and is not presented before both parliament and the people of South Africa. The reason it is in the constitution that section 18, that we must uh, be given an opportunity that we must have a right to vote and all of that is so that every one of us is satisfied that we have exercised rights enshrined in the constitution, that what is done is the will of the people, that indeed we see to it that power is in the hands of the people. The, what has happened now to this bill, especially the bill that I presented, what has happened is that it has been taken and the nation has been deprived of the chance to discuss it, to debate it openly. And I am I'm, I'm underlining this point that I will be fully in support of those who feel that we must go to the Constitutional Court to say that we have not been given an opportunity in 24 months, and rather in, in 24 months, yes, to deal with this matter. And I, I therefore want to say very briefly, I think we still deserve an opportunity as the people of South Africa to make sure that the, the electoral law of this country complies with the provisions of the constitution, section 18 and section 19. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much, uh, veteran Lukota, for your contributions. Honorable Tswako. Okay, Honorable uh, Ramulube. As I indicated, there seem to be challenge of the network, Honorable Thunder uh, Merve. Okay, Honorable Lekwase. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Let me start by saying we take note of all the submissions made by the presenters. And one might just ask Mr. Zonyani, 
by not requiring independence to declare not being a member of the political party within the last three months, would there not be possible significant confusion just prior to elections if many parties' candidates decided to run independently at that last minute? And would this not be an unfair disadvantage to political parties? Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, Honorable Pile. Um, Mr. Matons, you'll advise me the Honorable Tswako, Honorable Ramlo Wing, and veteran are now back on the line so that we, we don't uh, deprive them to interact with the two presenters. Honorable Pile? I'm sorry to interrupt you, sir. But why is my name there, Drama King? Yeah, Honorable Kota, you are... I'm, I'm, I can't take responsibility on your gadget. I'm, I'm sure you are aware to that space, veteran. I think there may be an issue to do with uh, the team that was using your, your, your gadget. Uh, what, we, we can take uh, note that you, you probably there was an issue around your, your gadget, but the committee as a whole and the presenters uh, can't take responsibility on the problems which you're facing there. It's, 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 not a, it's not an issue that we must argue on. I'm saying yeah, it, no, it, it may be a problem. Yeah, somebody must just change the names uh, there to yeah. say, the court. yes, yeah, let's do that. Thank you, sir. As long as yeah. I can be assured that my input will not be under drama key. It is no, under no, my no. name. My name is Musu Walikot. This, I no, don't no, know no, this no. name. I'm reluctant to disrupt you because you are a veteran. I'm, I'm reluctant. And, I'm, and, and I don't want to... Yes, I'm, I'm trying to, to be uh, lenient in my response to assist you. So we'll deal with that matter. It's noted. Thank you, sir. Um, honorable, sorry for disrupting you. Uh, the veteran came late and is now disrupting his own meeting. Uh, thank you, uh, Honorable Pile. No, Chair, thank you. I, I know I, I understand this, and I also want to give credence to veteran Lakota. Uh, just like other times uh, where you've had individuals or persons assist, please ask them to help you change the name of your device uh, to your name. That will help you uh, and, and put you at ease, veteran. Thank you. Um, Chair, let me just start off with a point of procedure. Uh, in that, um, Honorable Lakota did not <clears throat> withdraw the will, but uh, sorry, the bill. But he was very clear, and I think it's important for us to understand that the committee deliberated extensively, including Honorable Lakota, that was part of that process, and we then considered not to proceed with it. So it must be noted, and I think it's important for all persons to take note of that. The other one is that just to know that the task team that was set up by um, former Minister Vali Musa, that they did indeed take notes from this private member's bill. And it's important for us to be able to, to, to take note of that. Chair, uh, I just want to um, start off with, and again, reiterate the fact that how did we get to this point of where we are deliberating and getting submissions? There was an need to include independent candidates to contest this space of general elections, both at a provincial and a national level. And I think from that, that being the underlying 
sort of prelude or, 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 or factor that we're focusing on, we have to differentiate what is the reason for independents wanting to contest? Because they want to be independent. So if we are going to go back and we're going to get, for me, contradicting uh, submissions that are talking about how you now become a collective or how you be able to pass on from one to the other, I think it becomes challenging for me because then it defeats the whole independence of having to get independent candidates involved in this process. So I think it's, it's, it's very important to note that the individual who wants to contest the space uh, within their constitutional right must decide whether they want to contest the space as an independent, <clears throat> sorry, as an independent, <clears throat> excuse me, or as a collective. Chair, I think it's also important um, for me to take note of one very important point that was made with regards to the, um, I think it was Citizens Parliament that spoke about um, wasted votes. I just want to know, um, you know, whom should these votes be allocated to once the independent candidate is allocated a seat in the legislature? Because really um, it rejects the proposed model of vote counting um, in relation to what happens to the ballots cast for independent candidates once the threshold is, is, is allocated to a seat in the legislature is met. So what is it that you are proposing? Um, if I may call it in a loose term, uh, wasted votes, um, but votes obviously that exceeds uh, the threshold that is necessary. Chair, then another important point is that currently we have independent candidates contesting elections at a local government level. So local government elections, you have independents contesting. And I've never once heard any party or any organization, institution, even individual having to appeal or contest that why should an independent candidate pay a deposit to contest local government elections. But I'm hearing this come up now for this election. Um, and one begins to understand, is this not a bigger piece of the pie that one is contesting in comparison to a local government election? Why then should this change in terms of having to pay a deposit? Uh, thank you, Chair. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, I think also they can just take, uh, just get an attitude towards the uh, party political funding uh, in relation to the uh, independent. What uh, I think I meant to ask also the previous speakers, the presenters, uh, what is their attitude towards, uh, towards that? Uh, we're going to now invite Mr. Uh, Zolani uh, to uh, comment and responses, um, and then we'll then invite Mr. Matomela for comment and responses. Uh, thank you, Mr. Zolan. Your time. Uh, thanks a lot, Chair, and also thanks uh, to the honourable members uh, who have asked, uh, in my perspective, uh, their questions and comments are on one uh, part of uh, my submission uh, regarding, uh, I think, let me just indicate it, section 31B, subsection 3F. I think in answering uh, the honorable members chair, uh, probably 
I read that particular section, uh, having in mind uh, Honorable Member Molekwa's uh, type of thinking uh, regarding the cooling off period. Because when I read uh, that particular section, I took it beyond its current format to say, and asking myself a question, post the declaration or what's the purpose of that particular declaration? And the point I'm trying to make that share, and I hope it's not gonna get to that, an independent candidate does not declare and that then gets used uh, against that candidate to exclude that candidate from participation. Uh, that's the spirit uh, of the comment, uh, not to say the declaration should, should not be made. Yes, it should be made. Uh, and I think uh, during my submission, I said, if, for an example, that switch uh, from a political party becoming an independent candidate will uh, probably frustrate the IEC processes towards the elections, then on that case, uh, well and good, uh, it's acceptable. But then if the declaration itself uh, is a mechanism or tool, uh, that will be used uh, in one way or the other to exclude the participation of the independent candidates. Then that's where the problem is gonna be. I don't have a problem with the declaration itself, uh, but then as the bill is uh, enacted into law, uh, those are some of the things that, that need to be looked at to say by declaring it should not be on another hand a disadvantage uh, to the uh, independent candidates. Uh, in terms of your question, Chair, uh, I'll reserve my comments uh, in terms of the views on the uh, party political funding. Uh, thanks a lot, Chair. Thanks very much. Thanks very much uh, uh, for your time and also for uh, submitting your views um, uh, to the committee and also to members of the, uh, 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 the our citizens, I think also the colleagues, and for, so for responding to the comments that have been taken. I chair. Mr. Play. Mr. Play. Yes, it's Mr. Chair's got problems with the connections. If you can carry forward to have uh, Mr. Matomela to, to respond. Okay, sure. Thank you very much. Uh... Mr. Matamela, can you please proceed with responding? Uh, thank you, Honorable Clay. <clears throat> Let me uh, start by uh, thanking the statement made by uh, Honorable Chabane, the chairperson of this committee, that uh, members of this committee and all members of parliament have uh, read the constitutional court uh, judgment. Thank you very much. Uh, for assuring me about that. <clears throat> now, on the issue of the People's Bill and, and comments made by members of this committee and Honorable Lakota, my advice to both Honorable Lakota and committee is that if the committee uh, 
declared that uh, the People's Bill was undesirable, uh, but it's not withdrawn. My suggestion is that uh, Honorable Likota must present that bill as a submission uh, to amend this uh, electoral amendment bill from the executive so that uh, his uh, bill is not lost in the process because of uh, party political scoring of points. <clears throat> now, on Honorable was the issue of deposit for me is a principled one, as I said, that I believe that uh, is a door or a gate to corruption and state capture. Um, but the issue of uh, extra votes uh, given to other candidates, I, I suggest that uh, as a nation we, we consider uh, section 18 of the Constitution and other relevant constitutions uh, as sections which allow for a freedom of association. I've listened uh, to you, Honorable today specifically, <clears throat> if I'm not, not mistaken, on the issue of independent candidates. It is the choice of independent candidates how they want to associate. So if independent candidates for example, establish uh, those who are candidates and independent candidates association. And they decide that uh, they will share their votes. That must be allowed. That, for me, that is, that is the bottom line. We can't say simply because people wanted to be independent, so they must be allowed to be independent. And then you ignore the constitutional provisions freedom of freedom of association. There is nothing preventing independent candidates, for example, to form caucuses of independent candidates and then decide that uh, they will share their votes so that they don't lose those votes as long as that is declared early enough so that that is, uh, IEC is aware of that, then that will happen. I've listened to many workshops of IEC around these issues. Now, the other question was about uh, 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 recalling, how uh, uh, citizens should uh, recall. Our submission is that these seats do not belong to independent candidates. They belong to citizens who nominated them. Let us create a mechanism for those citizens to be a collective to mandate the candidates, make them accountable. If they don't perform, they recall them. They must sign contracts with their constituencies. That is the bottom line. If we don't do that, independent candidates will not be accountable to anybody. They will be easily bought and even, you know, to the extent of selling this country. So we can't allow that situation. They are independent from party, political parties, not independent from citizens. That must be made clear. Therefore, citizens have a right to reconfigure themselves so that at the end of the day, they are able to make it sure that those who have been directly nominated by them, elected, they are accountable to them. And if they don't perform, 
they are removed. Maybe here, Chair, I may also address the issue of um, uh, 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 by-elections. If you consider our presentation of allowing or encouraging independent candidates to have uh, caucuses or independent candidates associations uh, so that uh, collectively they don't lose votes equally, that would help in terms of, uh, you know, not going for uh, uh, by-elections all the time. Because if in a particular district, for example, uh, we have uh, seven uh, representation or five or three, and there were other members who were following those, we can take a decision as the country that uh, those people who have voted uh, but who did not reach a particular level should be on standby so that we don't you know, waste time doing uh, uh, all sorts of things, as long as that is supported uh, by the Association of uh, uh, Independence as well as Citizens Association within a particular district or a province. So that should be considered by the committee going forward. Now, <clears throat> the, the last two uh, issues raised here, uh, I think I've addressed the one on wasted food because it was raised uh, twice. Now, let me deal with the uh, uh, local government. Our submission, uh, honorable members, is that uh, local government is not a fair example here in South Africa. Because from 1995 to date, independence and the citizens' associations are not even funded. I took up this issue with the IEC. I was dealing with uh, 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 leaders within the IEC who are dealing with this matter. And their response was that this is not facilitated. They only fund registered political parties nationally. They are not funding independence or local uh, uh, citizens' association. So if we address that area uh, of a funding, uh, payment of deposit as a matter of principle, whether it's political party or independence, as far as we're concerned, that should, should be stopped. As I've said, it's a gate and door to corruption. Just increase the number of voters who support a political party or independence and then add other uh, uh, qualifications. Otherwise, uh, in this regard, uh, honorable members, uh, uh, independent candidates or as, uh, citizens' associations have been unfairly treated for the last 28 years. As far as I'm concerned, that's a violation of the constitution that you find political parties, you don't find independence. If I had money, I would have taken that matter to court and I know I would win it. But I didn't want to be seen to be somebody of litigation. We said as long as we address in that in this process, that will be fine. So members, therefore, must consider this seriously, that independence, political parties are funded. You know, honorable members, before elections, parliament is dissolved, which means there are no political parties in parliament. This thing of uh, 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 parliament, 
pretending as if political parties who are in parliament now, they are already in parliament in 2024. It's unconstitutional, to be honest with you. Because parliament, once parliament is dissolved, there are no members of parliament, there are no political parties. So everybody must be given then equal opportunity to contest for elections. So don't treat political parties as first-class citizens and treat the rest as second-class citizens. So if that matter is not addressed, it will be unfair to our people and the, the citizens of South Africa. I, I, I hope I've responded to all of them, Chair, unless you direct me to a specific one, I miss. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Pili, and uh, for assisting whilst we are struggling with the network and apologies again. Thanks, uh, uh, Mr. Matomela, for your comments and responses. Uh, where I do not capture uh, the uh, your responses and comment will rely on the notes uh, as we go into interface with the uh, on the parliamentary uh, process. Uh, want to take this opportunity to thank you very much for your for the opportunity to interact with us the portfolio committee so that we enhance uh, the work of parliament uh, and also to interact with members of society to listen to yourself uh, Mr Zolani and will uh, take notes and the issues that you've raised at the time the committee is going to deliberate on this process as we, we, we move forward. We're going to stand off uh, and invite the last two uh, presenters uh, to present to the, um, uh, the committee. I'm sure Mr. Matonsi, the, these are the last two uh, uh, colleagues that are going to present, Auto and uh, Kosatu, if I'm correct. Um, uh, Yes, Chairperson, I just got an email from Mr. Valmosa that because of other commitments, he will not be able to make it. So the author and Cosado are the last to present. Okay. Let's note formally that uh, a note of uh, former Minister Valmosa uh, due to his uh, commitment uh, as a formal letter correspondence to this uh, public, uh, to this uh, uh, oral submission uh, public uh, uh, visual. Ota, we are welcome to make your presentation. Thanks very much uh, for joining us. Thank you so much for the honor, um, Chair and Honorable Members of the Standing Committee. Before I proceed with the official presentation, I would like to submit in recognition to the Honorable Veteran Monsieur Lakota. Sir, I did change your name on Zoom platform so that your name now shows correctly. Oh, I feel... Okay. I feel as representing civil society, um, <laughs> it is my social responsibility to assist fellow citizens in this regard. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Right. Um, to start off with this presentation, once again, we would like to thank you for the opportunity and the honor to participate in this round of public hearings. Once again, to reiterate that we feel it is our social responsibility to engage in matters that do affect the public of South Africa. 
So the organization Undoing Tax Abuse is a civil society organization that is registered as being a nonprofit. We work on exposing government corruption and the abuse of taxes through public funds that ought to go towards the benefits and the interest of citizens. We are apolitical and we rely on public funding to hold those accused of maladministration to account. In this regard, it's necessary for the organization on doing tax abuse to indicate why it holds interests in the electoral amendment bill known as B1 2022. We wish to indicate this interest for you in this publication, also to establish how it affects the citizens of South Africa, convey the problems identified within this bill, and we once again submit in acknowledgement all the previous submissions made by our fellow public um, interested candidates, individuals and organisations. And as requested by the Honourable Minister Pillay, we would like to recommend solutions as to how this electoral amendment bill can be handled. Now, ALTA has a specific interest in this bill, and this interest is due to it being an amicus curiae or a friend of the court with the new nation submission that took place in 2020, following or followed by the Concord submission of the Electoral Act being found unconstitutional in its sections. ALTA submits then, in order to be constitutionally compliant, the electoral system must promote transparency and public accountability of the legislature and each member of parliament that serves part of it. The process supporting the surrounding the compilation and introduction of this bill as well as the content of this bill is deemed problematic on a number of levels. We wish to focus on two specific elements. The one which I will deal with later are the specific items proposed in this bill. But firstly, let us focus on public participation, wherein a few of our concerning matters do arise. Very much noted within the events preceding today's event, as well as the number of media statements and engagements in public hearings, we wish to indicate that we have found that there is a lack in public participation. This bill was formally introduced to Parliament on Monday, the 10th of January 2022. The invitation for public commentary, as we all had to submit, was on the 21st of February, only mere two weeks ago, which provided us more than or at least 31 days in order to make our recommendations, procure counsel and prepare these submissions to yourselves, the honourable members of the Standing Committee. However, we wish to indicate that in reference to the Portfolio Committee meeting that was held on the 8th of February, a briefing with the Minister of Home Affairs took place. In this meeting, it was indicated that much work has to be done to ensure that this bill is understood by members of the public. It underscored that active efforts will be required to make the bill more intelligible and accessible to the members of the same public. The Minister unequivocally stated that the finality of the bill must be guided by public participation because citizens must be allowed to support and even to criticise it. 
We wish to note then that in response as to why option one or the minimalist approach of the MAC report was selected over and above option two or the majority vote, Minister Mozzoledi was asked why this option and selection was made. He indicated that selecting option one would ensure that the deadline indicated by Concord of 10 June 2022 will be viewed and would be attended to. If option two or the majority vote were to be selected, it will cause further delays. Similar opinions were made as to the, the private members for the electoral second laws amendment bill B34 of 2020, which indicated that substantive changes had to be made and this will incur lapses in time. So in order to meet deadlines, it feels as though this bill is being pushed to appease Concord, but at the cost of excluding public participation. Unfortunately, as a matter of dismay, Alta also noticed in the Z list published on 14 February 2022, there was explicit reference made to reduce public participation such that deadlines can be met. This was indicated, and I wish to quote directly, the Portfolio Committee on Home Affairs National Assembly Briefing indicates that public hearings on the Electoral Amendment Bill B1 2022, that these public hearings would take place virtually. However, the public hearings in all nine provinces are discouraged to prevent further delay in the processing of the bill. Now, this is highly problematic because we do seek to support and encourage extensive public participation. This is very much aligned to the indications by Honorable Minister Mulekwa that indicated that public participation certainly will take place and is of utmost necessity. This was supported this morning by Honorable Minister Tito that the government and the committee will embark on extensive public participation. And finally, it was indicated that justice will be done to the citizens of South Africa. Now, indicating in an official parliamentary publication that we are discouraging public hear hearings is very concerning. However, Alta does wish to acknowledge that in the um, committee report of 23 February, it was indicated that public hearings will take place. And it was referred to earlier in today's um, presentations. The dates that have been set aside for these public hearings have now been made the 7th until the 23rd of March, 2022. If we consider the 7th of March, it means it is next week, Monday, during which these public hearings across all the provinces must take place. After extensive screening on news articles, public stations accessible by the citizens of South Africa, no such program of action has been found, no advertisements, invitations, education or information sessions have been broadcast to ensure the public is informed, educated, and even knowing that these hearings are taking place. So once again, we do find it very problematic that if the Home Affairs um, Standing Committee and Minister, in lieu of the Electoral Amendment Bill, seeks to promote public participation, 
but then does not make it a visible effort, it is in itself very contradictory. Let us go to the problematic elements identified in the bill. And I also wish to acknowledge that many of these have been discussed already by the colleagues preceding this presentation. So do allow me not to spend on them too long since we have brought this to your attention. But to acknowledge one of the core items that we have felt are concerning is the unequal proportional representation found within the bill. As situated in the MAC report options one or two, it was indicated in terms of the minimalist option that this option entails modifying multi-member electoral systems to accommodate independent candidates in the national and provincial elections without many changes in the legislation, including not interfering with the constitutional requirements relating to general proportionality. I wish to bring your attention to the wording used to accommodate independent candidates. As previously mentioned by advocate um, Zarina Prasad, the aim is not merely to accommodate, but to substantially integrate and include independent candidates if they feel themselves deemed fit for such a presence in the office representing the citizens of South Africa. It is submitted that this amendment sought to merely accommodate independent candidates and not to the extent that it renders it possible for such candidates to hold office as they should be empowered by section 19 of the constitution. This amendment interferes with the constitutional requirement relating to general proportionality. Independents are expected to jump over mathematical quota calculations only to retain a single seat, even if they were to receive a majority proportion of the total votes by the electoral system. And this, once again, is indicated by numerous of the submissions that have indicated how the Droop Quota system, in terms of the votes allocated according to seats, proportionality of the district, do make this a much more complex system that can be very not easily amended by the existing electoral amendment bill that does require extensive public hearing and submissions and the consideration of the electoral law second amendment bill. Another item we would like to bring to your attention in this regard is the contesting of seats. Independent candidates can only contest the 200 regional seats, which makes up the one half of National Assembly. They can only then contest the seats in the region in which they are standing. They cannot contest the other 200 seats of national to national votes. This links to the two requirements, the deposit requirements and the signature requirements that has come up in the discussion foregoing. And we do wish also to note that in support of what has been mentioned by Mr. Matumela, is the fact that the deposit requirement is not a new issue since this does relate to legislation. The Political Party Funding Act does not make provision for independent candidates and only for political parties. It can then be deemed discriminatory to disallow independent candidates that wish to contest seats based on the fact that they do not have access to the same type of funds that political party fundings do. Just because one does not have access 
to financial resources does not mean that one is unable and does not have your civic right to stand for office. It should also be noted that the other qualification required by independent candidates is to submit the signature requirement. As far as we understand, this signature requirement is not a necessity when contesting seats for local elections by political parties. They only need to make sure they attend to the deposit requirement, which once again, if we look at the Political Party Funding Act and the access that these political parties have to funds, allow them to very easily make these funds accessible. We then therefore submit that this is discriminatory and very unfair and unequal in terms of making representation of individual candidates possible. Let us turn to the wasted votes. Now, this is certainly not something new that we have come across today. The wasted votes indicate that once a candidate has secured a seat, any additional votes they've received will be discarded and a new quota will be used to determine the proportional representation of the political parties and the allocation of seats of them. Such an approach completely limits proportional representation by discarding votes in favour of the electorate. If we look then at section 19 of the Constitution, this not only means that votes are wasted and they cannot be shifted or transferred to another independent candidate, but effectively what we are arguing here is that the votes that were casted for those not meeting the minimum requirements in essence does not matter. Now, I cannot fathom for one moment in the South African context why if we are looking at legislation and the technical requirements in this bill and in the other reports submitted, if we consider it from a humanitarian perspective, we were to tell citizens of South Africa, your vote does not matter. This goes directly against moto ke moto kabato, I am because we are. And I am a person because of other people, simply because my vote did not mean or did not meet the minimum requirement. Therefore, discarding surplus votes impedes the notion that every vote counts. It is in a direct contravention of the rights of citizens for their votes to count equally, as well as the proportionality of vote share and then seats. We have a few recommendations and we hope that these could be useful, especially in consideration of the call that Honourable Pillay made in terms of contributing to this dialogue. What we would like to see, especially in the consideration of being a civil society organisation, is to visibly prioritise education campaigns informing the public of South Africa of the content and the implications of the amendment of the Electoral Act, as well as the Electoral Amendment Bill of South Africa. I wish to bring it to your notice that South Africa does have a very high illiteracy rate of 87% of the population that does not have full literacy and not even speaking of computer, media and information literacy capabilities. Together with this, our mobile penetration rate is only 60% of South Africa's population. 
Therefore, it is insufficient to say that notices are being placed online on Parliament's website where the majority of South Africans do not have access to the internet, hardly have access to data provision on their cell phones, and are most likely not even aware of these discourses taking place. If we're looking at news publications, news broadcasts on television, as well as radio broadcasts, to what extent is the public being informed, not only of their rights, but also of the processes to be followed? Secondly, we wish to urge you as members of parliament and respective representatives of your political parties to actively engage with civil society organizations such as ourselves and others to promote awareness of citizens' rights and to improve voter turnout and responsiveness. Certainly, we don't only have in mind our current realities, but also considering that we are preparing for the national elections in two years. We request to critically review the bill in light of the submitted comments that you've received today and as well tomorrow. And we also wish that you reconsider the salient features of the Electoral Law Second Amendment Bill B34-2020 to look at examples of the single transferable vote, which means that excess votes are no longer discarded. We also wish to recommend that you re-examine the majority option as stipulated in the MAC report and also as supported by various submissions, for example, the Helen Sisman Foundation and the Inclusive Society Institute. We want you to recognize that the democratic rights of every citizen whose vote has a right to count. We also wish for you to respect the rights of independent candidates on the basis of equality and fairness in proportional representation on the same constitutional terms afforded to political party candidates. And then if possible, we wish to take this matter further in a dialogue with our president, Honorable Sir Ramaphosa, to ensure that this matter gets attention on the highest of levels. I want to make a summary then of our core considerations. I think it's been made very clear in terms of improving public participation, the rights of individuals and equal votes for equal participation. I wish to make an argument in terms of the power of the individual. It's very easy for us to get lost in the legalese and the bill's wording in terms of individual candidates, but sometimes we tend to forget the power that an individual can hold. Let us bring to mind images of Mahatma Gandhi, our own Nelson Mandela, as well as to Mother Teresa, uh, Martin Luther King, just examples of how an individual could encourage and motivate citizens to take a positive stand for their democracies. Yes, indeed, we do have political parties, but let us not lose this opportunity to change this bill, to give an opportunity to potential future individual candidates to be the voices of the future and to promote our democracy. This is a watershed moment for South Africa to make sure that this opportunity is not pushed because we are trying to meet deadlines, but that it takes into effect what needs to happen to make sure it meets the minimum threshold for constitutionality. Similar as to what advocate Prasad have indicated when she was 18 years old in 1994 going for elections, I submit this presentation 
on two aspects, not just as a representative of a civil society organization, but also as a child of South Africa's democracy. I started school in grade one in 1994 and had high hopes and visions for this country and ensuring that effective change can be made to take into consideration the rights of every citizen of South Africa. I therefore implore you to consider not only our submission that you've received, as well as those from other organizations and individuals, and let us then collaborate on the best way forward and not impugn those that seek to engage in deliberative democracy. I thank you. Thank you very much uh, for your submission. Um, I know Mr. Matamela benefited from the minutes of uh, uh, Mr. Zolan. Uh, are you done, uh, Outer, so that you... Yes, thank you, Chair. Okay, thank you very much for your presentation. We'll now go to uh, an inputs in terms of the interacting with the, uh, with the bill. We're now going to invite uh, the last presenter presentation, um, Kosatu. Thereafter, we'll then deal with the two presentations at once, uh, interact, and we, 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 we then give opportunity also for you to uh, respond on the comments that members might have uh, made on your presentation. Um, Kosatu, you are welcome. Sure. Good morning. Yeah. Good morning, Chair. Thanks very much. Um, is it possible for the committee secretary just to give me hosting rights and then I can just quickly um, share a presentation? Um, Mr. Matonzi or Adams, can you assist? Um, Eddie, I was kicked out. I can't um, make the presentation. You have to make me a host or make Mr. Marks, uh, okay. Mr. Parks the host, please. Yeah. Okay. Can, uh, you deal with the, can you deal with the logistics, uh, Eddie? In the meantime, you proceed presenting. Thank you. Okay. Sure. I've been sorted out, Chair, so I can proceed if you want. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome. Okay. Sure. sure. No, thanks very much, Honorable Chair members. Um, yeah. Good morning. Uh, my name is Matthew Parks uh, from COSATU, Congress of South African Trade Unions. So just to thank the Chair for the committee for giving us time to um, raise our views as COSATU on this critical bill. Um, so let me say, Chair, that in principle, COSATO welcomes the Electoral Amendment Bill. Um, we support the bill based upon the following key principles. Um, one is the recognition of the need for Parliament to abide by and to urgently effect the Constitutional Court judgment and to amend the Electoral Act. Um, we also believe, Chair, that it is not necessary to amend the Constitution. Um, to effect this, we think amending the Electoral Act is sufficient on its own, which is what government, I think, has tabled. Chair, our support uh, for the bill is also based upon the following key principles. Um, one is that we need, given the sensitivity of the issue, and this is an electoral system, um, there's a need for public consultation, I think, as the committee is, is endeavouring to do. Um, that we think this will help to ensure a broad acceptance beyond political party differences of the proposed amendments. Uh, but also, Chair, that it's critical that um, these come into effect before the next elections, which is not far away. Um, 2024 might seem like as far as 24 months. In reality, it's very, very close because it'll take the better part of this year, even possibly part of next year to pass the laws. And of course, the IC needs time to get systems ready. And of course, we need to allow time for whoever wants to contest also to get ready. So we don't have too much time. 
but we also think it's critical to avoid losing the positive aspects of the existing proportional system. And I think maybe lastly, Chair, we can't overemphasize this point. We need to keep things very simple. Um, we don't need to complicate issues. We might create a huge mess if we do. So let's keep it simple. Let's keep it focused. Exactly what the Constitutional Court has spoken to. So, Chair, I think partly what's missing in the debates, have you listened to, you know, to the debate? Um, I'm not sure if we're addressing the, the flaws in the existing legislative and governance systems. I think, Chair, maybe it's important to bear in mind that the calls to amend the, to amend the Electoral Act um, do take place against a background, a decade of a pandemic of corruption, which is really eaten at the heart of the state. Um, we have a public which is exhausted. We have an economy which is struggling to cope significantly because of the inefficiency in the state to address problems facing society, um, to deliver quality public services. So, Chair, we have a voting population. This is, is, is quite worrying. I think all of us will agree. We have voters who believe that politicians are not in tune with their challenges or simply don't care. I think we've also, all of us have witnessed across party lines, uh, many public representatives and executive office bearers at all levels of government not being prepared for the positions. And we think these and other factors are really causing a growing sense of deep uh, alienation from the public uh, with regards to the political establishment and even the electoral systems. And of course, this can be dangerous, as you've seen in the examples in the United States and other places where the public loses confidence. But Chair, look, there's a, I think the number one task is the issue of compliance with the constitutional court judgment. Uh, we think there's an urgent need to ensure these amendments of the electoral legislation and implementation by the IC are done in time for the next elections in two years. So I think that's a kind of rough time frame. Obviously, Parliament knows better, but we would envisage the National Assembly being able to pass this legislation by September this year. We think that would give space for the NCP to conclude its leg uh, by June next year. And this would give sufficient space for the president to sign, for government gazetting and for the IEC to get ready. And of course, to give time for political parties and whomever else as independents might want to contest the elections. So I think first, as Kosato, a critical point is a need for minimal disruptions to the existing system. Um, we think the, the, the bill needs to take that approach. We think this bill does take that approach largely. Um, we don't think we've got enough time to be, to be honest or realistic for massive whole scale changes. And there is a real political risk of a, of a, a massive overhaul or unintended disruptions. And again, the, the judgment simply called for the inclusion of independence. It did not call for a whole scale upheaval or abandonment of the existing systems. Just said make space for independence. Um, and it allowed parliament correctly to deal with those modalities. So Chair, we think it's critical to preserve the positive aspects of the existing proportional system and let's avoid introducing instability. Um, we don't want to amend the constitution if we can avoid it. And it's, we think the existing laws uh, do allow for us to, to do it. So, for example, it's about amending the legislative definition of electoral parties to include independence. That's a fairly straightforward thing. Um, shall we think in the bills, the bill is correct to simply require the same requirements for political parties to contest elections um, to be replicated for independence. So, for example, the signature requirements to confirm popular support, that should be replicated by any independent wanting to contest. Otherwise, you might be in danger of having a ballot paper 500 pages long. I think we all know how political parties proliferate come election time and disappear afterwards. Chair, on the constituency boundaries, um, again, we think the Electoral Act already provides for provincial constituency boundaries. 
Uh, we think this is sufficient to include independence within those provinces. Um, it's a simple and it's a minimal disruption approach, so we agree with the bill on that. We think this also helps to synchronize uh, electoral and government boundaries. And again, independents, when they are considered for parliament or for the legislatures, should meet the same electoral vote threshold as political parties. Um, it should be no different. Chair, we, we see in the bill there is a provision for three rounds of voting calculations for independents. Um, we're not experts on this thing, but we are wary of the amount of, of confusion it might create. Um, so we'd want to plead with the members you know, to reconsider that clause dealing with the three rounds of votes calculations for independence. Let's look for the most simple, most elegant possible approach um, to, to address this matter. Um, I think we also want to say, so everybody has often placed the constituency system or direct election of members on a pedestal as if it's a panacea to all our problems. And to be honest, it's not. There are real inherent dangers in the elective members. We already have it to, to, to an extent in local government or where we elect ward councillors. And if we're honest, many of our ward councillors um, fare no better when it comes to improving um, service delivery. I'm sure most of us here would not be able to identify the ward councillors. Um, we know there's many problems and we've seen countless service delivery protests where people feel the ward councillors are not accountable to them or, or even to the parties at that time. We've seen many instances without exaggerating where ward councillors behave in effect like warlords. Uh, they treat wards as personal fiefdoms. We've seen in many instances, in, especially in informal areas, given the levels of poverty and unemployment, etc. Um, where ward councils have been able to establish patronage systems in exchange for public services. And every now and then that results in assassinations, murders, etc. Um, you don't need to go far. You can just go around a few wards in Cape Town to see that. Chair, on the demographic front, one of the benefits of the PR system is the issue of demographic and inclusivity. Uh, most of our ward councillors are men, overwhelmingly. Uh, they're mostly from three political parties, the big kind of three. ANCD and IFP, and I think that EFF might also have gotten a few ward seats in the last elections, but very, very few small parties win wards. So the FF plus also, I think, has won a few wards. Chair, um, we think in South Africa's history, there's a real political danger of not including all political views in parliament legislatures. Um, and again, you know, ward councils also tend to balkanize along um, ethnic lines. So most ANC ward councils would be African men. Most DA ward councils would be white or colored men. Most IFP councils would be, ward councils would be, would be Zulu men. Um, Chair, I think without any kind of sense of disrespect, but most ward councils are elected because of the ability to mobilize numbers in a ward, popularity, not necessarily because they have the set skills needed to run municipalities. Um, Chair, we've seen the ward systems uh, being abused in many countries. So for example, in the US, it distorts population sizes. A small state has the same amount of senators as a large state. Um, often it's used in many uh, constituency systems around the world to suppress votes from, from other parties. And of course, there's gerrymandering. Um, I mean, it's seen examples in the US, but you could even look in Cape Town, where wards are deliberately designed to favor one political party or to disadvantage another party. It really distorts democracy. Uh, so hence, we feel comfortable with the provincial boundaries, which is more inclusive. I think, Chair, you would also recall that in 1948, when the National Party won the elections, it didn't actually win the most votes. 
but because of the nature of the, the constitutional system, it got the most seats. Um, but I think she also to bear in mind that people would largely vote for political party preference, uh, for good reasons or for bad reasons. Um, she, I think also with, uh, we, we must acknowledge South Africa comes from a very racially, ethnically, culturally, and geographically and politically divided past. Um, the existing system was chosen deliberately before 1994 to maximize inclusivity. Uh, specifically, it helped to bring on board the Freedom Front Plus, helped bring on board the IFP as well, which was critical to, to moving away from a violent past. Um, we think it's still relevant today, and it's, it's critical to ensure all political parties have a stake in the democratic system, irrespective of our political views. She said, what are the benefits of the existing system now, which is why we're fearful of tempering with it too much or making it too complicated. And the need to keep it simple is that the existing PR system, people understand it, that any party which gets a quarter of a percent of the vote, in effect, wins a seat in the National Assembly. Um, you know, similar kind of rough percentages to provinces, obviously a little bit smaller given their size. But it also helps to ensure votes are, in a sense, equal. It's simple and it's easy for the public and parties to understand. Um, it's benefited us because we have a majority party and it's helped to enable a stable government. And we can see now with coalition governments, we're going to enter an increasingly fragmented and unstable political era. Um, the municipal hybrid system also has helped ensure, even with wars and municipalities, that parties are represented in councils based upon the PR vote. So again, let's try to avoid huge disruptions. We think that it does help to enable us to meet our demographic targets to ensure inclusivity. Um, for example, the 40% gender representativity in parliament has been enabled because of this. Um, it does allow political parties to deploy a person with relevant skills and experiences. Um, it does also enable political parties to enforce party decisions, which we know might not always be popular with, with everybody. So, Chair, I think just a few, kind of getting towards the end, um, a few related contextual matters. Just flagging for members' attention. It's obviously not part of the bill. But we think that in future, we should be looking at some discussions around holding single national, provincial, and local elections. And we think this would help save significant costs for government, for parties. It will help to ensure a higher voter turnout, um, to synchronize the, the terms of the three um, tiers of government, and help to enable natural progression of councillors to legislatures or to parliament with less disruptions from, from by-elections. So in, in conclusion, Chair, I think we just want to say as Kosato that um, now, this is a, we, we support this bill in principle. Um, we think it's critical for Parliament to prioritise it and ensure it comes into effect before the next elections. Um, the bill, we think, does give us a good framework to work within. We might need to enhance it here or there, or simplify it here or there, or etc. But I think we want to emphasise the need for a minimal disruption approach. Um, let's preserve the essence and the positive aspects of the PR system. But look, whatever we do, we need to show there's broad consensus and support for the, the final bill at the end of the day, and it should be seen to be above the political interests of any particular party. Um, we think this bill does provide for inclusivity in the electoral system, and we think it does give effect to the constitutional court judgment, which is what we're here for. Um, Chair, look, there, there will be a need to address other flaws in the political system of governance, and we have the space and time for that. We may not have the space and time for it in this bill, but doesn't mean we can't have that discussion after the next election and see how can we further enhance or build upon the electoral system. We don't have to resolve everything in this short window. But those kind of things we'd need to look at. How do you ensure the political establishment is in touch with ordinary citizens? How do we respond to public anger? 
how do you ensure it's response to the call for a better life, or how do you deal with corruption, etc. Um, so, so lastly, Chair, we think, yeah, these four lines do need to be addressed um, if we want to ensure broad support for the political system. But let's for now, let's keep it short and focused. Let's process this bill. Let's see if we need to have any fundamental enhancements to it. But I think for us, Chair, right, right now, is we don't have too much time. The bill gives us a good framework to move forward. And let's really try to keep it simple. Let's avoid complicating issues. And very lastly, Chair, I think we'd support the committee's decision uh, which is it's, it's straightforward to apply for a condemnation to the Constitutional Court to ask for additional time, because obviously we will not get this concluded by June this year, and that would also create a constitutional crisis if we're seen to, to rush it prematurely. But yeah, that's it from our side, Chair. Thanks very much um, for giving us space. Thanks, Chair. No, thanks very much, uh, Kosatu, for uh, your presentation and also for the opportunity to interact with the, the committee and the public and the colleagues in terms of your shared participation on the, on the bill. Um, I initially opened to the five minutes and I can see that you are done with your uh, presentation. We're now going to invite members to comment on the two presentations, and then we'll give opportunity also to the colleagues to respond or on what they've raised. Um, I'm going to request uh, Honorable Ross, Honorable uh, Molekwa, Honorable Tito, Honorable Tswako, Honorable Van der Merve, Honorable Ramulobing, Honorable Jose, and Honorable Pile, um, and veteran uh, uh, Lukota. Uh, uh, I'm sure uh, at least we understand what happened, uh, veteran, in terms of your. Uh, your gadget. Honorable Ross? Chair, I saw Honorable Ross uh, just left uh, the system, so it might be that he's uh, having some challenges. The network, yes, okay. Noted, Co Chair. Uh, Honorable Tito? Okay, Honorable Malekwa? Uh, Honorable Co-Chef Anar Merva. Mr. Matunza, oh, members have a problem with the network so that we... Honorable Malikwa? Some of them, they are here in the meeting. I don't know what's going on. Um, okay. Yes, thank you very much, uh, Chairperson, and um, may I thank uh, Kusatu and Alta for the presentation. At the outset, I must just um, say I didn't quite understand the reference to in the Kusatu presentation to uh, the IFP and the Freedom Front Press and ending the violence of the past. I don't know how it relates to the current project we are embarking on. 
And also, I was a bit concerned with the generalization about all IFB councillors possibly possibly being um, Zulu men only. I just want to assure Mr. Parks, and I'm, I'm quite a, I, I, I see a lot of Mr. Parks interviews on TV, so I'm quite a, a fan of him. One, quite a few municipalities, and they're not all, uh, all those seats are not occupied by, by men, firstly, but we do have a lot of female presentation. And of course, um, our councillors are, are reflective of, of uh, various constituencies. But that having been said, um, I want to then go to uh, the presentation by Alta. Firstly, I want to say, you know, there's a lot of that was that was said previously about Parliament possibly embarking on a on a public participation process that could be a tick, tick box exercise. It was actually mentioned previously by the One South African Movement, and I really want to make it, you know, the point, Chairperson. I think we as a committee feel very passionately about making sure that the end product that we will be bringing back to Parliament will be reflective of the wishes of South Africans. Um, so I really would like to make the point that when we, we decided to, to ask for an extension and, and embarking on this project of a public hearings, it is exactly because we do not want to have a tick box exercise. We want to include South Africans in this process. And I did hear when um, Alta made the presentation, she did, she did say that she would be concerned if we are only advertising public hearings, uh, Parliament's public hearings um, on our website. Um, because people do not have access to data and the internet, and that is very correct. But I would like to as well assure her that uh, Parliament will actually go to communities and inform them ahead of Parliament's arrival that uh, Parliament will be coming to their area, so there will be groundwork as well. And we will be utilising um, community radio stations as well to communicate um, the need for public inputs into this process. So those were just comments, but I didn't hear from Alta as much as we are all concerned about the issue of the wasted votes. Um, I didn't hear a proposal from Alta in terms of what should happen with wasted votes, because at the end of the day, the challenge we face here is, yes, we do not want to undermine um, the democratic process. We do not want uh, votes not to have uh, an equal standing, but... At the end of the day, what would be the proposal in terms of what happens to, to excess votes? Because as I asked previously, transferring excess votes to another individual also might undermine the democratic process. Because if nobody voted for, a, for another candidate, would it not also undermine the process by then transferring votes to an individual um, whom people uh, didn't vote for? So what, what would be Alta's proposal in terms of how we deal with excess votes. And then my final question would be, Chairperson, how would Alta suggest that one independent candidate run across several provinces and, and nationally if they can only fill one seat? So I just wanted to get some clarity on that. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, Koshe. Uh, Honorable uh, Malikwa. Honorable, I'll come back if they are left to input. Honorable Lohwase. Thank you very much, Chair. I have no submission for now. Thanks. Veteran Lakota. I'm really covered by, by all the comments that have been made. Thanks. Thank you, Veteran. Um, Honorable Pile. Thank you very much, uh, Chairperson. Let me also... Um, 
appreciate and welcome the submissions that were made by Alta and Kusatu. Chair, uh, <laughs> I want to reiterate what my colleague, uh, Honorable Lizal, has just mentioned earlier uh, in respect to how uh, independent candidates will run across the several proven- provinces um, and nationally. If you are contesting the space as an independent, it means that it's for an individual, it's one seat. How then would you then uh, be able to have a seat in the two different legislatures? Um, and two, will it not mean that um, a citizen who is voting for you as an independent or individual is actually voting for you and not for somebody else if you want to then allocate um, that seat in a different legislature to someone else? Um, I also want to, to ask uh, the question about, um, to Alta particularly, um, as a supporter in the New Nation Movement Concord case, would Alta be in favor of adopting the majority report recommending substantial changes to the electoral system, even if this did not occur in time for the 2024 um, elections? Chair, I also want to reiterate that the process of um, public education um, has uh, uh, commenced particularly in the different municipalities um, and the uh, memorandum bill has been translated in all official languages uh, and that there are colleagues who are working with municipalities and provincial legislatures to obviously uh, prepare communities and citizens in time for the public hearings. Uh, and Chair, we have, we have said this from the very beginning that we want to listen to the inputs and the submissions being made. And that's precisely what the Parliamentary Committee on Home Affairs is doing right now, to be able to grasp all of this information in order for us to then be able to deliberate and then prepare a report that will, will then take the correct um, approach uh, to this uh, project. Thank you very much. Thank you, Honorable um, Play, for your contribution. Can I check before I, hand, I invite the uh, presenters, uh, Honorable Ramulo Herving, Tito, Tuaco, Honorable Ross, if you are back on the line, Honorable Molekwa. Thank you, Chairperson. I'm sorry, I, I have a network problem. Okay. Uh, yes, Chairperson, thank you. I think uh, I'm covered uh, by the uh, comments made by Honorable Lizeth. Thank you, Chairperson. Okay. Thank you very much, uh, colleagues, members, for those comments to the two presentations. I will start with Auta uh, on your response and uh, invite also Kwasatu uh, on their response. Uh, Auta? Thank you, Chair. Um, if you will allow me, I would respond to both questions simultaneously as posed by Honorable Pillay and Honorable Liesel van der Merwe since they do tend to address items of public participation and then as well the wasted votes. In terms of public participation, um, I'm very heartened and happy to hear that there have been efforts already in terms of translations um, of these documents, reaching out to local governments, etc. I similarly wish to extend an invitation to you since you do have all the interested parties partaking in the public hearing, that should you, when you commence with the public participation, 
from the 7th of March onwards, collaborate with civil society organizations that do have networks in communities and grassroots organizations to collaborate with you, since this is an effort that impacts all of civil society and the citizens. So perhaps with combined efforts, um, we will ensure that we reduce elements of duplication, potential reduce elements of mistranslation in our objectives and instead work together. Um, I think due to the limited time that we have, um, it is best that we join in instead of, um, you know, dividing to conquer. So I would be very happy to receive information from your offices and to see how we could support your efforts for public education and literacy on this matter. Then I wish to indicate in terms of how excess or wasted votes will be handled. Um, there are two comments on this. The first pertains on recommendations that have been made, and, and this also links to a potential vacancy of the seat that were you to stand and submit your name as the individual candidate, as the primary candidate, a name for a secondary candidate is also, or a list of secondary candidates are put down, that when you go as a voter, you select your primary candidate and then you cast your vote for your preferred second candidate that lists that additional option. So should there be an option to contest national to national seats, we do have a list of such names that then will also be supported in terms of the signatory requirement. I also wish to focus the fact that where the section 18 of our constitution refers to our right of association, it also refers to our right to dissociate from others. Now this came up a couple of times in today's discussion, that if you were once part of a political party, you do have the right to dissociate yourself from that political party in order to proceed with your own individual candidacy efforts. But that also means that when you do stand as an individual candidate, you are not precluded from your right of association. With that assumption, then we could work that all individual candidates are free to associate with whosoever other individual candidates they wish to associate with and then enter an agreement if and where possible, should there be such secondary lists of candidates available. So um, in further towards this in terms of practicality, I wish to refer to the Electoral Law Second Amendment Bill as put forward by Honorable Veteran Monsieur Lakota, that in his proposal in terms of surplus vote transfer does provide a more opportune response to this issue of wasted votes. I do want to acknowledge that as though it was indicated that the Electoral Laws Amendment Bill B34 of 2020 has been indicated unsuitable legislation to be used to amend the bill. It was indicated in the media statement, and I wish to quote verbatim, that despite this, it being deemed unsuitable, the committee highlighted that some of the matters raised by the bill could very well find expression in the executive bill before the committees. The committee has decided to undertake countrywide public hearings on the electoral amendment bill and called on the stakeholders to ensure the committee hears their views. This therefore means that there are elements in the electoral law second amendment bill that are still useful and insightful for this submission. And therefore, we highly recommend that you revisit 
this full in processes going forward. Um, and then finally, Honorable Brandon Pillay, um, on your request as to whether ATSA would still have remained amicus curiae, even though there are deadlines in place, um, I wish to indicate that we will reserve this for legal counsel, but as far as possible, ATSA maintains its position as a friend of the court and the parties that were part of the New Nation movement in its submission. Thank you. Thank you, Ota, for your responses and also for accepting um, to join the meeting, make your presentation and comments that members have made and also your responses to that effect. We'll take notes as you continue to interface with the bill as part of consultation and uh, uh, sorting guidance from all stakeholders, including yourselves and the people of South Africa. Can I invite um, Kosato? Um, no, thanks, thanks, Chair. Yeah, thanks to, to members. Um, I think to, to Honorable Fanemeva, um, I think I just do appreciate uh, the kind words. Um, yeah, maybe perhaps I should just say no, the input was, no, was not intended to insult any political party. Um, I don't think any of our political parties or any of us are angels. We all come from a violent history in South Africa. But I think the point we're trying to make, Chair, around is that uh, the PR system has many bits positive benefits, which has benefited South Africa, given our very difficult history. Um, you know, it's helped to ensure that we have 13 very diverse political parties um, represented in Parliament. And that's a useful thing because all the political parties feel a stake, they feel a sense of inclusivity, a sense of ownership. If we had gone for a constituency system in 1994, we would have had only three political parties, maybe four, in Parliament. Um, and I think, I think colleagues remember that um, without picking on any political party, um, there was real problems of violence in the run-up to the 94 elections. There was a difficulty of KZN, violence for many years, and Gauteng as well. There was a difficulty, how do we get IFP on board, the issue that IFP was raising, international mediation. And I think we'll also remember the role that Constant Fulhoun played in trying to bring on board the Freedom Front, et cetera. So I think first, those are positive things. So when we discuss the current electoral system, let's not forget about how the current system has really benefited South Africa and our political system with all of its weaknesses. Um, and I don't think any of us must claim to be political angels. I think we've all got, uh, all our parties have difficult histories. Um, Chair, look, I think the point around the ward councillors, yeah, look, I mean, I think without getting to head counting, um, and there, there has been progress on the, uh, there has been progress on the demographic representativity of, of ward councillors. I think when we had our first ward elections, the first local elections in 95, 96, uh, the next round of 2000 and so forth, um, overwhelmingly our ward councillors would be men. I think it's still overwhelmingly so. Obviously there is progress. And again, so I think the point is that the PR system at a municipal level, national, provincial, it helps to, to give space to political parties to address demographic issues. Um, it is improving, but there's much more that needs to be done. Uh, but again, the current space does give us uh, tools to help to ensure inclusivity, which again is critical to, to South Africa as part of the nation building project. So I think Chair, the point um, is that there are many benefits to the existing system. Let's not collapse them as we seek to address the constitutional court directive, uh, which we must address. Um, and Chair, there is space after the next elections to see how we further enhance the electoral system. So there's not a last chance to, to improve it, but let's also be realistic what we can do now and 
to avoid um, creating unintended consequences, etc. Um, I think it's a learning process, Chair. Chair, I think just quickly to Honorable Pillay, um, I think we'd want to take the point that persons who want to contest elections, all right to them, but they must accept the consequences that political parties have to accept. The, the signature requirements, the limitation of how many seats you can contest, etc. If an independent wants to contest uh, in two provinces, well, then they have the right to establish a political party to do that. But I think as Honorable Pillay says, it's very difficult uh, for one person to be sitting in two provinces. You can't. So I think, yeah, I think lastly, Chair, we really want to, please, let's keep this thing simple. Let's not make it very complicated and let's ensure that what we have at the end of the day, all the voters can understand it and they can identify and embrace it as well. If we make it very complicated, we might end up losing the public as we move along. But thanks very much, Honorable Chair. Thanks very much, Kosachu, uh, Mr. Matthews, for uh, coming to the committee to share and interact with the members and also communicate the position you hold. And all of you uh, members, colleagues, stakeholders that have presented, the committee highly appreciate uh, your efforts for being in the uh, meeting continuously to strengthen our democracy, but also to raise key issues uh, that as we continue with the work of the committee, we'll able to interact and our people on the ground, the stakeholders, will able to interface uh, with the with the bill. I must indicate uh, that there's no intention that the committee is engaging on a tick a, tick a box uh, process. And I think that we must just undermine that statement as it stands or emerges, because it will therefore uh, uh, demobilize uh, or generate a narrative that is negative towards this process that all of us as a collective members of parliament and also as yourself as a stakeholders, uh, the people, members interested on this pro process want to achieve. So I think we need to take uh, caution in terms of how we elevate uh, uh, issues that are not in the framework of this, uh, of this process. The portfolio committee, since the judgment has been tabled or consumer court judgment, you recall that uh, the then chairperson advocate Bongani Bongo uh, were initiated as the portfolio committee to invite various stakeholders uh, to begin an interaction on this process of the uh, 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 constitutional court judgment. And that was effective and we do appreciate that work that was done. And you recall that the minister, Mzualedi, um, has also appointed a task team of a, a former uh, minister, Valimusa, who extensively with his team dealt with the consultation with various stakeholders. And I think that gave effect to the demonstration of the response and the commitment that uh, this process must be a, a, a come to finality at a particular point. You know that the cabinet uh, has to interface with the process and ultimately table a bill to, to parliament and refer it to the portfolio uh, committee. And the portfolio committee at that point will have an authority to then begin this process that were uh, started by issuing an invitation for public submission as correctly indicated that has been uh, 
close on the 21st. And those that had uh, interest to conduct oral submission as you did started today, the committee has opened that space for yourselves as a team to come and enhance the discourse so that we're able to collectively move forward to consolidate our democracy. And members uh, as individual, as independent, has been directed by the Constitutional Court, find participation in both the national and provincial uh, legislatures. So we did so uh, consciously with our responsibility that we need to involve all members of the public to the intense public uh, hearing and consultation to solicit views so that ultimately parliament will consider in the committee once the process has been concluded to deal with that. The rules of parliament allows members to introduce members, private members bill, which as a committee we've appreciated that uh, initiative from the veteran Lukota. And there are rules that deals with how, whether the committee consider to proceed with the private members bill or not to proceed. And were guided within that rules. And that interaction of the bill was interacted with the committee in the uh, recall last year when it was introduced. We interfaced with that. It came to the committee, we, interca- we interfaced with that, allowed the minister to interface with the private members bill. And on two occasions when we interfaced and we, we also invited Honorable Lukota just to raise some of the issues that are on the, on the, uh, on the bill, uh, the previous members bill which the committee in their wisdom and cancer agreed not to consider to proceed uh, with, with, with the bill. So we do not uh, pack the bill uh, as irresponsible uh, collective of the portfolio committee. And that is imagine. But we are comforted, we are happy that the task team has also solicited some of the areas uh, that are found expression in the executive bill that we are going to engage on as we move forward. The committee took a decision to consult further on the public participation, which we're going to enter in that space as we've started with yourselves and everybody who's interested, join the public participation to also consolidate and advance the views that members or colleagues uh, from NGOs or political parties or, or interested individual want to carry forward. We're not taking lightly your submission as uh, colleagues at the time, the committee is going to interface and consolidate extensively discussion or going to deal with that as members of the committee and before uh, the parliament. Well, I have since last year, as the members of the portfolio committee or the committee interface with the parliamentary legal service on the process, because it's us, the committee that have been uh, 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 running for the team led by the task team of the uh, minister and the minister and the executive to fast track the process of bringing the bill to parliament so that we're going to interface with it. So the extension to, uh, uh, to the constitutional court is on the basis to further uh, have enough time so that we have meaningful public hearing and give opportunity to all citizens uh, to contribute to this, uh, uh, to this process. So you are the first in terms of being allowed or uh, uh, given opportunity to communicate with us, parliament, and also with the public in terms of their views that uh, you have uh, interacted with. We appreciate your, your work uh, that you have started 
and hope as we move forward, we will carry all of us, uh, members of the public, so that ultimately parliament and the people find expression to that. The options that executive uh, has proposed uh, to parliament uh, or to the public, those are part of the discourse as yourselves as the, and the public and submission are going to engage. You realize the committee has not yet established a position on how we must consolidate the bill in parliament. So let's allow uh, yourself to participate. Let's allow the public to participate. Let's allow the stakeholders uh, to participate so that we're able to realize the objective we've convened to do. Lastly, the IEC will, at the particular time, when we've consolidated, they will be given an opportunity as a, 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 an institution to reflect on the course of action, how are they going to interface once parliament consolidate and consider uh, uh, the bill in parliament. So we have taken cautious that this process will need enough time and we don't want to take shortcuts. And I don't think there's anyone of us who want to appreciate that we take shortcuts in order to, uh, to undermine the constitutional court. We want to comply with the constitution and satisfy the constitutional court judgment but also the public must resonate in terms of how we must consolidate and conclude this process. In those words, we thank you for coming. We'll take notes uh, on the issues when the committee discuss. We're reconvening tomorrow with uh, the team also of colleagues, of members who have interested in stakeholders that will contribute uh, to that uh, 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 effect. Parliament, unit that deals with the uh, uh, education in terms of the process, having highlighted by the co-chair Lizelle and Honorable Pillay that work is underway to inform our people, uh, to educate our people, to reflect on what is expected and what are the issues, the difficulties that were going to uh, be highlighted on the, on, on, the, on, the, uh, on the Constitution. And I think we'll take that uh, uh, way forward. We're going to interface with all provinces public hearings, and we expect that uh, all of us will continue to communicate and give awareness uh, to the public in terms of how we must uh, uh, solicit uh, uh, views from our members. Mr. Matunzi, I want to request Chair, you... Chair, you... Chair, I'm very sorry. Before you conclude, I just wanted oh, no, to make a no. correction. I'm very sorry. Okay. Um, I just wanted to say there were some, some comments in response to my questions, but I just wanted to say that I, I don't think as political parties we are engaging in a... Yes? Okay, you'll proceed uh, with the correction. Yeah, I just want to make a correction quickly. I don't think we are engaging in this process, um, starting in this process by thinking political parties are perfect. I, I want to make that clarification because I think the very reason why we are here is because people of South Africa are fed up with, um, you know, some issues around accountability and political parties and how we behave. So nobody is going into this process thinking political parties are perfect. So I wanted to make that clarification because I heard a lot of things today, which assumes 
as you have clarified, Chairperson, that we will do a half-baked process or we, we, we're not engaging with this process in a sincere manner. So I really wanted to say, you know, firstly, we must disabuse ourselves from, from some of those statements that have been made. Um, I didn't feel too comfortable with some of the things that were said, uh, you know, about the past and, and my political party, but I'm going to leave it there. And then also just to say that, um, Chairperson, you know, also we must thank Alta and some of the other organizations who have said that they will help us mobilize uh, people to come to our public hearings. And I think we need to appreciate that support that has been offered to us. But I just wanted to offer, just to give those clarifications. Thanks, Chair. No, no, thanks. I didn't want to venture in that area. You have attempted to, to venture into because we wanted just to deal with the framework in terms of the process and the issues that are arising. So that we yes, um, apologies, Chair. Yeah, so that we, we venture, we, we focus on the work that uh, we are dealing with because um, if we ought to venture in that uh, space, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. So I didn't want to venture in that, but I appreciate um, uh, your call of caution to those that um, have uh, disabused their uh, their uh, their their status. I think clarity has been provided on the. Uh, issues related to uh, the political parties. I think um, um, uh, Kosatu has uh, sufficiently dealt with that in their in their responses. But uh, honourable uh, members, uh, we will reconvene. I want to request honourable, sorry, Mr. Matonsi or Adams, announcement on the uh, if uh, on the issues of the uh, uh, public hearing. Uh, we'll do that announcement also tomorrow so that is firmly understood uh, from the administrative uh, part. Thank you, Mr. Matons. Mr. Matons? Adams? Uh, I, was chair, muted. I was muted. I was okay. muted. No, I was saying, Chair, in terms of the uh, provisional public hearings, everything is on board now. We are, uh, there are teams, like as you said, there are teams in, uh, in, in Northwest and Pumalanga and KZN, and as we speak, who are conducting uh, workshops to educate uh, members of the public in terms of what the bill seeks to achieve. They are in working closely with the legislatures uh, and national houses of traditional leaders, and then they're also working together with uh, local and the uh, district municipalities. So even when I was here in the meeting, I'm communicating with uh, colleagues from uh, public education in the Northwest in terms of letters that they are meeting with uh, various stakeholders, chairperson. Uh, we, we are going to have meeting on Friday, where we are going to get uh, more uh, updates from the different teams that are going to be participating on the, on the public hearing. So I will have more information uh, by the course of the week, Chairperson. Thank you. Tomorrow? Oh, yeah. Tomorrow, we, we, we're starting the same time. There are about uh, seven organizations, seven organizations, I'm sorry, half past eight, there are about seven organizations, and I hope all of them, they'll be here. So we're starting the same time tomorrow. We are Thank following you. the same procedure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, colleagues who presented on behalf of your team and also as uh, individuals. Um, that is an announcement for our uh, process 
going forward. We'll reconvene tomorrow. The meeting stand adjourned. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you very much, Chair, and goodbye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Chair. Bye. Then thank you. Thank you. Better. Yeah. Now we are. Yeah. Moise Musia Likota. Yeah. Musia. Musia Likota. Yes. Not. Uh, what was that? I forgot. Sir. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted you to. No. Thanks very much, colleagues.